And then we see that he like has found a chicken. And again, this isn't an actual criticism because I know that that history doesn't exist in this show. But chicken is fucking expensive in this era. So I'm just like, she has a whole chicken. How rich is she? <laughs> Welcome back to Merlison Guys, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the and band, and the characters. My name is Momotastic. And today we are back for you with another episode review. We're going to talk about the second episode of season bum, bum, bum. two, The Once in Future Queen. And before we get into that, let's hear some news. The Bottom Opera Fest will return. It is set to run from May the 6th until May the 13th. It is mirrored on Pillowfort for all the content that's no longer allowed on Tumblr. The Merlin RPF Prompt Fest has announced the dates for check-ins and prompt claiming. From May the 1st until May the 7th, you'll be able to claim prompts for this fest. The Merlin Cannon Fest has also announced that it will return. The episode list will go up on the 1st of June and claiming starts on June the 8th. For the full schedule and more information, check the LiveJournal community. In May, the Podfic community is doing its equivalent of Write Every Day in May, or even November's NaNoWriMo. It is called RemoPodMo, which stands for Record More Podfic Month, and is, as the name suggests, a challenge to encourage pod figures to record or work on a pod fig every day in May in order to give all of us more pod fig. Check out the calm on DreamWith if you're interested in participating with your projects. And that has been it for news, Woo-hoo. which means it is now time for some talkbacks. All right, we have a couple short ones today. The first one comes from Elowen, who commented on our episode review of Excalibur. And I, I think I made the comment about why is Gaius treating Uther's wounds in the council chamber. I think we both picked up on that. We were like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, why why is Uther sitting on the table in the council chamber rather than in Gaius's room or in his own rooms? And Elewen says this. As for Gaius treating Uther's wounds in council chambers, did he even have a set for Uther's chambers in season one? So I personally always get things a little bit mixed up at one point because they just used Arthur's room in a couple of episodes, I think, and just put different furniture in it. Yeah. But it's definitely Arthur's room. Like, I checked this, like, because I kept arguing that, no, it's a different room, it's a different room, and then I actually checked screen caps, and it is the same room, just different furniture. Or furniture even arranged differently. Yeah, and that's the same for most of the best. So, like, anyone that's a guest in Camelot, like, so, for example, when you see Morgoza's chambers in Sins of the Father, that's Arthur's chambers set. Agravain's chambers are Arthur's chambers set. Um, even the tavern where they meet Gwen is Arthur's chambers set. And I only realized this <laughs> recently, and now you will never unsee it, guys. <laughs> Go and watch that bar fight, and you will never unsee it again. <laughs> so that's the thing. Um, oh, my God. But, <laughs> I, I know that they, that I, I'm pretty sure that 
they used a room in Pierrefonds in an episode in season one because when I walked through this room, I'm pretty sure that was Diane who said, oh, this was Uther's chambers in this and that episode, but of course I forgot what episode it was. Excalibur, I think, is when the... Oh, no, sorry, I keep getting them mixed up. To Kill the King, where they're all arguing about the gold. Maybe. Because in, in, in... It's also To Kill the King, when Morgana goes to Uther to mm-hmm. demand that Tom be, be freed or whatever. It's it's this great hall in Pierrefonds uh, that they used as Uther's room. It's just that they filmed it from an angle so that it looks much, much smaller. That's true. So I'm I'm not sure what to believe at this point, and I'm not ready to rewatch season one in its entirety just yet. <laughs> no, I'm to fine. find that. But if someone does it, you know, let us know. <laughs> well, I know for a fact you watch Merlin all the time. I follow you on Instagram. So <laughs> you can tell us. <laughs> and Bonnie. True. I'm looking at both of you. <laughs> um. So then Irene left us a comment on our character analysis of Lancelot. And Irene said, Okay, I refuse to believe that he sacrificed himself for Guinevere. You can see him making the decision as he sees how important Merlin is, with the water spirits and a dragon, and so he decides to give his life so that Merlin can fulfill his destiny. I think this is referring to the Doroka episode, if not as I originally thought the Guinevere episode. This could just be my love for that Merlin-Lancelot relationship, but I believe Lancelot sacrificed himself for Merlin, because if Merlin died, Arthur would have still survived. So, that's a fair point. (laughs) And I don't remember where it was brought up, but I think the reason we tend to blame Gwen for this is because she blames herself. Like, I'd have to rewatch the episode to be sure, but isn't it like Arthur tries to sacrifice himself, then Merlin stops him, then Merlin offers to sacrifice himself, is distracted, and then Lancelot just takes the spot? So it's a... Yeah, so I suppose you could probably argue that Lancelot sacrificed himself for all of them, in a way. So, yeah. This... This is really complicated, this one, because the way it's written is really stupid. So, what happens is... And like this is one of the things that I hate about this entire plot and how they chose like th- these are the final Gwen slot moments they thought were appropriate for this shit. So Gwen approaches Lancelot when they're still in Camelot and says, please um, keep him safe and bring him home. She's referring to Arthur as if that's not his job anyway. Why are you going to him? What do you think he can do that the rest of them can't? It's just like, this is the one moment where I'm like, Gwen, that, that, that's a dick move. You know, he's in love with you. Why would, don't, don't do that. That, that's a bad thing. So she goes up to him and says that his heart is broken because obviously, you know, she's asking him to to protect her future husband. And then they go out and, you know, they get attacked and whatever. Then when Merlin and Lancelot are together on their own and Merlin is healing, and Merlin's like yammering on. I was like, I'm going to sacrifice myself for Arthur. <laughs> He's so happy about it. And then Lancelot's just like, could I really do that? Could I knowingly give up my life for someone? And Merlin says, you have to have a reason, something that's more important than anything, which he's referring to Arthur. And it gets Lancelot thinking about his relationship with Gwen. Well, that's what I think we're supposed to 
infer mm-hmm. from that conversation the two kind of you know pairs destined to or not destined to end up together and then um obviously that then feeds into the conversation they had when they were hiding in the hut where you know he talks about Gwen and Lancelot's like no I don't think about her at all I don't cry myself to sleep every night what are you talking about you know and being all macho about it and then following that conversation yeah like you said Momo there's a thing where Merlin you know they kind of all start splintering off some nights stay to fight off the the wyvern or whoever they are and then Arthur Merlin and Lancelot advance into the main bit and then Arthur gets knocked out by a wyvern and Merlin gets distracted by the calyx yeah is that Mm -hmm. um is that what she's called and then while she's talking and she's like, it's not you that's going to end up dying. He's like, what are you talking about? And then by the time he looks, Lancelot's already gone. And then, like you said, we get the scene with Gwen where she says, he didn't sacrifice himself for Camelot. I asked him to look after you and he was true to his word. And she's crying and she thinks it's her fault, which, I mean, I don't want to say it is, but I'm also not saying that it is. So it's just sort of like, whatever. It's a shit storyline. It makes no sense <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because it makes no sense that Lancelot would sacrifice himself for Gwen in this moment because Gwen is of no consequence to the storyline happening with the Duraka. She has no control over whether the Duraka do or don't kill people and yet the actual writing suggests he sacrificed himself for Gwen. It's just Merlin happened to be the one he was preventing from doing it at the time. But I'm just like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's so stupid. It also, honestly, it also cheapens Lancelot's character significantly because it implies that Lancelot wouldn't have done it if Gwen hadn't asked. Exactly. So that really that really bothers me because it's just like to me it would have been obvious that Lancelot would have done this anyway because that's just the kind of idiot Lancelot is. But the the way it was written it's just like Lancelot did this solely because Gwen asked him not because he thought that it was the right thing to do that Merlin's life was necessary to be preserved in order to preserve Arthur's life because they have a destiny and so on and so forth. You know, it's like it takes all the agency away from Lancelot. And usually I don't have a problem with men having less agency for a change because they always get all the agency. But this character, like Lancelot, I already don't like Lancelot because uh, they fucked up his character on the show so much. And this is just another another thing on the tally there where I'm just like nope nope um yeah to kind of bring it back to the original question I think in my opinion the narrative clearly points to Lancelot sacrificing himself at least with ties to doing it for Gwen like I said following the conversation Merlin says you have to have a reason and I don't think Lancelot's reason is Arthur that's clearly what they're painting Merlin's reason to be yeah but that's not what they're painting Lancelot's reason to be. Yeah. It is because of Gwen. Whether that's necessarily right or not is a different story, but that is what it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. So our next comment comes from Aspen, who said something about the Gaius and Uther episode that we had. And I think we were talking about uh, Uther maybe not knowing Gaius's past or not being sure whether Gaius knows that, uh, that Uther knows that Gaius used to practice magic, and Aspen points out that in The Witchfinder, Uther says that he's aware of Gaius' past. And honestly, Uther has proven 
many times that he knows Gaius has magic or knows how to do magic or at least knew how to do magic. But I still think that he probably normally ignores it or denies that Gaius has any knowledge of how to do magic because in his eyes, Gaius is a good person because he renounced magic and is living a magic-free life now. So in Uther's eyes, Gaius is converted to non-magicalism. And so Uther... Uther just turns a blind eye to the fact that Gaius used to be a magic practitioner. Yeah, I think when I, because I think it was me that said, oh, does he know? And I hadn't really rewatched season two at that point. So, yes, you are right, Aspen, that, that he does uh, say that because it's Arthur that says, oh, Gaius ha- had magic? You're mistaken. And Uther's like, nah. <laughs> uh, he's right. <laughs> And Arthur's like, Dad! I mean, there's also the scene in season three when Morgana is injured and Uther is like, Gaius, do whatever is necessary, nudge, nudge, yeah, wink, wink, really if you catch my meaning. Mm-hmm. So, definitely, Uther knows Gaius can do the old magic tricks. Alright, and one more comment from Eliowen who commented on the episode in which we talked about the legends. And everyone says, I do love the amazing Murther scenes that the finale offers, but I really hate that the finale happened at that time. Arthur was in his early 30s. He was not supposed to die for decades. And, okay, this is just a thing about uh, Merlin timeline, because, first of all, we don't know how old these characters are when the show starts. That's for one thing. Let's assume that it is this weird kind of thing where Arthur... I mean, it's sort of implied that Arthur is early 20s, because it's like the purge happened 20 years ago, so... Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. It would be Arthur is like 20, 21. Like, there's this this theory that when he becomes of a... Like, when he's crowned prince, because he's now old enough, that it's this arbitrary age of 21, which... Why would they wait until he's 21? But fine. They wouldn't, he would be 17. <laughs> yes, but let's assume it, it's 21 because he is, because the Purge was 20 years ago and the Purge didn't happen until Ygraine died. So let's say Arthur is 21 in season one. So someone did a breakdown in a chat somewhere that detailed, like I don't remember who it was or where it was, but someone did a really amazing breakdown about the seasons and how it can't have been 10 years start to finish of the show. It boiled down to how the gaps between the seasons were shorter than we usually tend to assume. I mean, obviously between season two and three, it's a year because they say it's a year. And between season four and five, it's three years because they say it's three years. But between seasons one and two and then three and four, there is no time frame. Three and four is a year. Again? Yeah, uh, when in the first scene of Darkest Hour, Gwen says to Gaius, it's been a year since Morgana betrayed him. Ooh. Another bit of exposition for the audience. Ah, another time jump. (laughs) Okay, so there's the only time there isn't... It's uh, one and two, yeah. It's one and two, but also there's no exact telling how long these seasons actually span. Like, if it's it's a year or if it's just a couple of months, because I... I want to say it's probably just a couple of months rather than an entire year. Yeah. Arthur wasn't even in his 30s yet. He was like, if you have a year between two and three, one between three and four, and then three between four and five, that's five years. Plus, 
however long the seasons are. Let's say like a year combined, maybe 18 months. Let's round it up to two years, just to have, to have an, a nice even number. So we're at seven years for the entire span of the show, which puts Arthur at 28 when he dies. So late, late 20s when Arthur dies. And this is honestly all I want to say to this, <laughs> with everyone being like, he wasn't supposed to die for decades. Yes, according to the legends, maybe. But also, I want to sucker punch all of you that Arthur was even younger than you thought when he died. I mean, I really try not to spend too much time thinking about how old these characters are because it just drives me crazy because I know nothing makes sense and the history doesn't add up and I hate it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah like uh, Morgana would not have been that old and unmarried. Gwen would not have been that old and unmarried living alone in a house. Arthur would not have been 21 when he was crowned Prince of Camelot and everything sucks. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh. <laughs> um. So she carries on to say, it's probably the stupid mindset that stories with happy endings are somehow inferior to stories with tragic endings. Like they were thinking that if they decided to let Arthur and Merlin live happily ever after, or at least until Camelan happens much more later, it would make the show's ending suck or something. And so instead of giving us an amazing story about Arthur finding his way to magic and Merlin finally free of the burden of lies, they give us this half-cooked, rushed tragedy. I agree and disagree with that. Like I think that stories with tragic endings are can be completely equal to those with happy endings uh, I think the ending of a story must first and foremost be earned so a tragic ending following say a golden age I think would have been fine and I'm not sure if that's what you're getting at here or if you're saying that like you would have preferred a happy ending period like with no sadness but I don't think there's anything wrong with a tragic ending it's just I don't like the fact that we were given setups and promises at the beginning of the show that never materialized. I don't like it that we had characters introduced that were key players in the narrative of Camelot, its rise and its downfall, <coughs> Lancelot, and nothing ever actually came of them either. I don't like that they picked and chose what elements of the legends they wanted to keep hashtag traditional and what elements they wanted to hashtag do their own way and trying to make us think like, oh, well, this is us doing it our own way when no, it's just you just couldn't be bothered. So that's what bothers me. But I think that tragedy can make sense and be beautiful in its own way. And I think that, you know, as much as it hurts, Arthur dying and Merlin living, it, it kind of, you know, the whole narrative of theirs is that kind of them being together but separate and distant. They can't quite reach each other, whether it's because they're prince and servant, whether it's because Merlin has to, you know, um, uh, lie to protect himself, whether it's even a lack of communication. And, you know, death is just another way in which they're kind of kept separate. And I think the idea of their story is, is that one day they will get there. I mean, the the whole metaphor of their relationship is two sides of the same coin. And the whole point of being two sides of anything is that you're always back to back. You're never quite facing one another. So I think that is a really good way to round up their story. It's just like you said, we, I think, should have gotten some kind of reward for the waiting of, you know, Merlin's burden but to be fair we're lucky we even got a reveal in the first place because they were thinking of never having one at all so 
you know, I don't think that the tragedy was half cooked because I think, I mean, we would agree it's painful. <laughs> like it, like it wouldn't hurt as bad if it, if it, if it didn't make sense. But I just think that it could have followed um, a, a nice prosperous period, which would have, I think, been even more sad because you would have been like, oh, they've spent all these happy years together, you know, ruling side by side and magic being prosperous. And then he dies. <laughs> and it's really sad. So I think that would have been better. I mean, what do you think, Momo? Do you think that, like, do you think that happy stories are necessarily superior or inferior to tragedies? Or or do you agree with, with what I'm saying? I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think that either type of ending is superior to the other. For one thing, they both have their uses, they both have their place, and it all depends on how well they are done. Exactly. I mean, I personally prefer happy endings, but that's not the same thing as thinking that they are better. <laughs> it's just that yeah. I prefer them. If this, if exactly. that's that's the main thing, the ending has to fit the story. Absolutely, and I I was about to say I love happy endings, and I do. But I look at my list of favorite films. <laughs> at the top of which, which is Titanic. Titanic. Which is, which is Titanic, followed by Cold Mountain, followed by Moulin Rouge. <laughs> so, finally, uh, Eliwan has a book recommendation, which I shall read out. It's not really a legend stuff, but all the talks about gays in Camelot made me think of, of a book that I came across a few years ago. A friend of mine was doing the official translation into Czech language. It's Mordred, Bastard Son by Douglas Clegg. It is gay, plus Mordred isn't a bad guy. I haven't read it yet, so I can't say if it's good or not, but looking at the reviews, it seems it shouldn't be entirely bad, and there should be a sequel. Thank you for this recommendation, Eliwen. If any of our listeners want to go check it out, you now have all the information, or hopefully all the information that you need. There's even a Czech translation available if you so please there you go so this is where you can find us if you too want to leave us a comment you can leave a comment on our website which is merlison.parakaproductions.com you can just type merlison into google as well it should come right up you can follow and reblog us on tumblr which is merlison.tumblr.com you can tweet us at merlison on twitter you can email us at merlison.podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes and rate us and also leave us a comment when you rate us so we know what your rating is for. And you can join our Discord where you can talk to other listeners, can talk to us, can join in on episode discussions and also go on many, many tangents with all of us. You can get the invite on our Tumblr or our website. And now I think it is finally time to talk about the Once and Future Queen. Yes. As per usual, we have this little summary from the Merlin wiki for you in case you don't remember what this episode is about. Arthur enlists the help of Merlin and Guinevere to disguise his identity to enter a jousting tournament. However, he does not know that King Odin has sent a deadly assassin to kill him for revenge over the death of his son. There you go. <laughs> Very short. <laughs> yeah. There is no there is no question at the end, but it's still this sort of dun 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 sound effect <laughs> that everyone hears in their head. <laughs> it's 
So this episode first aired on the 26th of September in 2009. There is exactly one female character with lines in this episode, and it is Gwen. Morgana does show up. You see her in the stands, but she doesn't say anything in the entire episode. And neither does any other woman, unless you count, like, shouting from the stands, which I don't. Ah. <laughs> uh. There are, however, 11 male characters in this episode. There is Arthur, Merlin, Gaius, Uther, and Leon. And there are Myor, Odin, the Sir William Farmer, and three extras who don't have names but who have lines. So, the enemy of the monster, um, enemy or monster of the week are Myor, and Odin. I mean, Odin indirectly, but Myra very obviously. And Merlin assists Merlin assists or indirectly causes the death of one person who is Myra. Because he does the magic and that gives Arthur the opportunity to do the killing. There you go. Yeah. So, Rox, what are your overall thoughts for this episode? I know you have some. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't rewatched this episode in quite a while, so it was really cool to actually kind of really sit down and dissect it. And what I've re- and what I realized while while rewatching it was that there's some really good stuff in this episode. The problem is is that a and we'll get onto this, the whole thing with Arthur feeling like um his privilege gets in the way of things is a bit misplaced by the time we get to season two yes um a b um i think that what they should have focused on more was this idea of responsibility which was a really really good theme throughout this episode and the biggest flaw of this episode in my opinion is that they take the b plot which is um the the romance and they try and make it an A plot. Yes! I was just, literally just thinking this. In the, I'd say in the last third of the episode, and it just doesn't work. No. Gwen's scenes with Arthur would have worked fine if you just toned them a little bit. It's only a couple of scenes that really ruin it. <laughs> and the rest is fine. Like, it's not a problem apart from the fact that, like I said, Arthur's a uh, privileged storyline maybe should have been tweaked just like a bit more but it, you know honestly though i think the the lessons he learns in this episode make more sense to me than the lessons they were trying to teach him in labyrinth of gedref i still don't understand why he was punished in that episode for for hunting i get why uh he needed to learn a lesson here because he was really just behaving poorly on a couple of occasions and things that he actually needed to learn he did end up kind of learning but um so that was fine i don't know if they had a place in season two necessarily and i don't and i think that gwen being introduced into the narrative worked fine i just don't really think that they should have led so heavily with the romance i think that could have been saved for a bit longer or they should have started this much sooner with arthur and gwen if they wanted it to be realistic they should have had this plot line much much sooner because as we'll get on and to this if they had had it they should have had it in the toned down version much earlier absolutely. because 
for me, their interactions in this episode read like two people that are meeting for the first time, not people that have already fought side by side yeah. and I've had uh, three or four scenes together at this point. I just think that this is what I'm saying with the reset button. They're trying to make us believe like, yeah, I don't buy that these two spent the best part of two weeks together in the Eldor, that they spent time outside of that, you know, and Arthur has, you know, seen and spoken to her on a couple of occasions. I don't really buy that here. They act as though they've never been in the same space as one another before. Yeah. So I think they did actually try to introduce us to this. I mean, this is basically what Moment of Truth is about. It's like trying this plot in a more toned down version a season earlier. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Like and this is I just think... now repeating the same thing. Yeah. And I think it worked a little bit better there only because they didn't then try to make it the A plot. Like yeah, I said, it exactly. was, it was it the was B like, plot and it should have, it was like an F plot. Uh, actually, yeah, yeah, it was an F plot. It wasn't even a B. Yeah. Whereas this, you know, and again, I haven't really, like when I rewatch Merlin, especially if I watch it with like my friends and stuff, I don't like, I try not to watch it with my Melissa goggles on. And so this is the first time I've really actually tried to figure out, okay, why does this episode bother me? And it wasn't until I got to like, yeah, like the latter third, I was like, okay, wait, okay, things are going way, like things are speeding up way too fast. Yeah. This is completely unnecessary. Yeah. And you are on track pretty nicely. And I, there's, I'll discuss it when we get to this particular scene and this particular moment. But I think there are things like if they had taken out maybe like one or two Arthur and Gwen scenes, added scenes that focused on something else. I think the episode could have actually been really, really good. And yeah, even the title like is a little bit silly when you look at how much romantic interaction these two actually have. I think the actual romance aspect of these scenes, there's about, two and a half yeah. <laughs> like there's the scene after their failed date there's the kiss and then there's the hallway scene and based on those moments the episode is basically like Gwen is going to be Arthur's future wife <laughs> and it's just a bit like yeah the title is just so over the top for what this episode actually does like they could have called they could have called it a lesson in humility or literally anything that had actually to do with uh, with Arthur's character progress. Yeah, like they could have saved this title for like um like their wedding or something. Yeah. Anything. Um or the finale, that would have made more sense. <laughs> like yeah. she becomes... or even the one the one that I forgot what it's actually called, the one that you hate. Oh, Queen of Hearts. Yeah. Queen of Hearts. Yeah, they could have called Queen of Hearts the ones of future queen because that's when Morgana has the vision of Gwen being crowned queen. You know, that would have made more sense. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, overall, I think there's some really good aspects to this episode. Some that suck big time. And that's not even to do with Arwen. It's just to do with Arthur and season two-ness of his behavior. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But, I have I have notes on yeah, that. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you do. Um but yeah, uh I'm assuming your general consensus is similar to mine? Yes. Well, there you go. We can probably just get into the scene by scene then. Yes. So Rox's Rox titled the first scene the one with much discussion of killing. Meanwhile, I I called it the one with the second rate Leon. What what King Odin? No. This 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 other dude who lets Myro into the room. He shows up again later on, and he literally looks like second-rate Leon. He has this exact same haircut, the exact Hilarious. same hair color. He's just he's just Odin's Leon. 
it's just the amount of times they say the word kill or killing in this scene. I was like, <laughs> he's like, you've killed many people. I, he's like, I've killed many people. They're all the same to me. If if there was a bounty <laughs> on your head, you'd be dead already. I want you to kill the man who killed my son. I want you to kill Arthur Pendragon. I was like, whoa. And like, then, like, the, 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 the nice thing is, you know, Myra proves that he can kill people by displaying regular fighting skills that Arthur could have demonstrated the same way. <laughs> Just, what? I guess that's... because he, because he, like, has no expression on his face, that makes him more dangerous. Probably. Know. Yeah. And um, then, of course, the regular drama of kill Arthur Pendragon. Yes. Announcements is just so such an eye roll for me now because that's literally how every episode starts. It's um, like, kill Arthur Pendragon, kill Luther Pendragon, yeah. kill Merlin, kill, kill, kill. Yeah, I, but I will say this is quite nice because this is one of the first times in a while that we've had a, a person who's an antagonist with nothing to do with magic. True. Um, the same we had the, the same thing in Valiant. He just shows up yeah. for completely unrelated reasons, and this yeah. is quite nice that this is. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, and again, it's. I mean, it kind of feeds into like the kind of lore that I like. You know, things happen outside of Camelot. These characters have yeah. a past. Uh, again, I'll get into how they could have maybe included more of that into the episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, that uh, that's that's quite nice. I quite like that. At least you know we're 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 meeting a, another king. Um, we're kind of expanding the this uh, universe a bit, and I think that that you know that uh, that's quite nice. So I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. He also lives in Hogwarts, King Odin. There you go. <laughs> like like this shot at the beginning, the very first shot is like this roaring sea, and then a a castle on top of a cliff. I'm just like that's Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have the title credits, uh, where yeah. no one dies, so it can't be well, the real title didn't, credits. <laughs> didn't didn't that didn't Myra basically kill that guard who was forced to attack him? No, I think he just like put the sword to his face and then proved how good he was at not killing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of not the point of an assassin. <laughs> yeah, just, just tackled him and pointed a, a sword in his face. That was it. But we had we had the dramatic announcement of Arthur su- being supposed to be killed. So that oh, also okay, counts. I guess that counts. That, okay. that does count. Um, you know. So the scene that we have when the, uh, when the title credits end, I've called the one with the practice jousting. I don't know what Momo's put in, in her I version. called it the... I called the one with real Leon. Ah, look at that. That makes a lot more sense. It's like continuity. Love yes. it. Uh, I mean, look, I've been waiting for this for a long time. <laughs> Your time has come. Uh, why did you pull out? I was wide open. <laughs> yes. It's just the best, like, introduction to an episode, I think, ever. Um, it's absolutely we should have. Epic. That's what the title scene should have been like. The one in which Arthur was wide open and someone pulled oh, out. <laughs> damn it! Which is we not both the failed. Same. <laughs> um. So, uh, I will say this. This is where we. Okay, so we have Leon, who you know, whose uh, introduction I think no one could have even anticipated the popularity that this character would end up having. I mean, Rupert did, obviously. Well, it's, even at Rupert, this point. Rupert knew all along that he was going to be the main character of this show. Well, his ego surpasses Arthur's in this episode. Then <laughs> it's almost as big as his hair. 
Um, but uh, so so here we have our main conflict set up nice and early, which is really nice, which is that, you know, Arthur gets a bit of sun in his eyes and Leon uh, lets him win this uh, practice round. And Arthur is not happy about it. Now, what I will say is that I'm surprised it's taken him this long to realize that people have been pulling their punches on him Seriously. because it feels like this should have like he should have noticed this a bit sooner like he's already in his 20s he's already been doing I was about to say things. he should have he should have noticed this five years ago exactly like <laughs> I don't know why it's just it, it, it's almost like it was relevant to the plot now um so, <laughs> the wheel you might of, be onto something there yeah uh, it's almost like the writers didn't know that this was a flaw for him until they needed to write this episode uh. um, and so what ends up happening is Everyone around him is scared shitless that Arthur's figured out their secret. And he- <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! He focuses out! They all look so... Oh my god. They they just like... it's. They're like one second away from shuffling their feet in the sand <laughs> on the ground. And um, Arthur says, uh, I do not expect any special treatment from you or <laughs> any of you. Is that understood? Which I think is extremely interesting that even when he is saying kind of implying i don't want to be privileged he's using his privilege to say is that understood (laughs) he's really pulling the prince card even when he doesn't want to be treated like a prince arthur (laughs) what are you doing so yeah i'm just like this is basic that little interaction is all you need to know for what's going to happen for the rest of the episode arthur will pretend like he wants to be normal and then he'll make and he'll still act like he's privileged and i'm just like <sighs> yeah which you know is fair because privilege is hard to unlearn i'm i'm not saying that it isn't but author like beyond this token effort to you know disguise himself and prove that he is just as good as he always thought that he is you know he doesn't I mean, he says it in the at the end, like, he does it to prove it to himself. He doesn't do it to prove it to anyone else. It's literally just him that he wants to prove it to, and then just maybe hold it over everybody's head, that he's like, <laughs> see, you don't need to treat me like I'm special, but also treat me like I'm special. Yeah, and that that's what I do really like by the end of the episode, is because his whole motivation, like you said, when he comes up with this bright idea, which slowly takes us into the next scene, is his whole idea is... I'm going to disguise myself and then reveal my true identity. He can't wait to actually reveal himself at the end. And then, yeah, he actually learns, no, it's what I feel about myself that matters more. And it's my own opinion of myself, which is actually one of the nicer arcs that we've had for him, I think. It's really, really great. Um, But that takes us into what I've called the one where Merlin gets an earful. Because... Just the dialogue in the scenes, like, my whole life I've been treated like I'm special. I just want to be treated like everybody else. And I'm just like, oh. Do you? She, while his servant picks up after him behind Literally every time he says that I want to be treated like anybody else, I'm just like, every time I go, but do you really? No. <laughs> oh, you, because I don't think you do. I don't really think he does. And I've written here, his entire character arc thus far has revolved around him wanting to be treated like a prince. So I'm just like, I really don't think I buy this. Like, uh, I don't know, because half of me is like, okay, yes, I completely agree that if and I've said this before, if Arthur had an older brother or if Morgana could have taken the crown, he would absolutely hand over his crown if he thought that Camelot was safe. 
But on the other hand, I don't see him living on a farm either. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? So yeah. I just think that I just I wish that we kind of got a better idea of what he actually wants yeah. in his life. After Arthur wants all the privileges without the responsibilities. That's what yeah. Arthur wants. He wants he to wants... be the second son. <laughs> That's what he, he wants. Yeah, he wants to be the spare. <laughs> yeah, essentially. that And that is basically what the spare gets to do. They get to be rich, but without any of the responsibilities of running a kingdom. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, but I don't really think that he wants to... I mean, as we can see, he doesn't like living like a peasant. He really doesn't like it. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so he comes up with this bright idea because Merlin says, oh, you're Prince Arthur. You know, you can't change who you are. And he's like, and it's really Ooh. cute. And he's kind of like, yes, I can. He's got this really cute look on his face where he's like, I'm so clever. <laughs> it's so adorable. <laughs> um, yeah. Which leads us into the one with a lot of lying. Oh, God, this scene is so hilarious. I just. The music in the background is what does it, honestly. <laughs> this this little tune that plays, which is not the the usual Merlin shenanigans uh, title, uh, like sound that we usually have. It's a little bit different, yeah. but it still works so well because you just know that there's only bullshit happening in this scene. Oh my god, just Mer- I mean, Merlin's knocking over cups, he's trying to stifle his laughter. Yes! He's just- Uther is so easy for all of it. Like, Arthur is so over the top when he says, As much as I want to compete, my duties to Camelot come first. And Uther is like, Uther is seriously saying, Yes, of course, you're quite right. And I'm just like, What? I think what I love most about this scene is A. Like, Arthur. Sorry, yeah, sorry for interrupting again, but like Arthur even it, uh, assumes it uh, like a lower tone of voice to sound more credible and convincing. I'm yeah. just like, oh my god, Arthur, you're so bad at acting. Indeed, and you know, a Arthur trying to figure out what the creature's made of, which is what <laughs> actually prompts Merlin to laugh in the first place. <laughs> um, then. Uther's not really paying much attention to what he's saying until Arthur says, we believe it was conjured by sorcery. And then Uther's like, then we must destroy it. <laughs> and he's like, of course, I'll ride out in the morning. And what I love is Uther's, but you'll miss the tournament. <laughs> Uther is such a jock. Like, he absolutely loves it. If you watch him in any tournament scene, he's like, Wah. No, the, the great, yeah, the great thing is, um, this is not really taking away from any of the future scenes because, like, Uther is in this scene, and he's in this scene at the end. And between these scenes, all you have of Uther is reaction shots yeah, <laughs> that, that Tony probably filmed on, like, by himself one fine day. He just keeps looking. You just see reaction shots of Uther the entire time. I'm just like, this is amazing. I love it. It's so great. And then... What I do also love, it, like, usually Arthur's the bratty one and Uther has to remind him of his duty to Camelot TM, but this time it's the other way around and he's just like, but you the tournament, wait, what about the games? <laughs> and he's just like, oh, but my duty to Camelot comes up. You're right, of course. <laughs> it's just... Damn it! <laughs> I, I'm I'm willing to believe that there's an F-plot that was abandoned where Uther had money on Arthur winning, and that's why mm-hmm. at the end, when he's like, we have a new champion, Sir William of Deira, he's really annoyed because <laughs> he was hoping Arthur would win and he'd make some money on it. That's, like, my headcanon. It's <laughs> like, you can't leave. I have, like, X amount of gold pieces on this. Oh, God. Um. So Arthur gives Merlin a dirty look. 
to be like to say you almost you almost you know revealed my plans and Merlin's like me what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute um and uh, Merlin being bad at his job is just normal also being bad at lying on the other hand it's so cute it's such a cute interaction between them um <laughs> it's brilliant so the next one I, I have is the one with the tripping it's iconic. Just like, yeah. <laughs> just like, on his and face. then, guys, help me swing the force, but with the with the appropriate hand motion. I'm like as like, if Arthur doesn't know what sweeping the floor is. And I just, but that's what makes the entire scene on And Arthur is completely like nonplussed that Merlin is like dying of like you know an asthma attack and just takes the bag off his shoulder. <laughs> and there's a really okay. cute jump cut here, actually. Like, I always forget it's there, but it's like, it's like it jumps, uh, jump cuts to Arthur putting, like, actually putting the shirt on, which obviously suggests that time has passed. I always really like that little piece of editing. But, um, yeah. yeah. I have I have one question about the start of this scene. When Arthur tells the others to go on without him, he tells them that they mustn't tell anyone that he has gone back to Camelot and I I wonder why he tells them that I mean obviously he's not coming with them but why does he need to tell them where he's going instead like if he wants to be like if he wants to return in secret like why does he tell these three random knights his plan or part of his plan when it's supposed to be such a big secret like well, all th- they need to know is that he's not with them, that he's got other stuff to do. He's the prince. Yeah, but I also don't buy that the knights would necessarily just, like, leave him if he was like, I'm just going off on my own. Like, at least... Yes, of course back- they leave him because he commands them to leave them. He, him because he's the prince and that's his privilege. Yeah, but it's also their duty to protect him. Like, the prince can't do whatever he wants. He does need to have protection. Like, I think if he was like, listen, I'm going to be in Camelot, like, they'll just be like, okay, like, we'll we'll just go off then and do what you want. Like, I don't know. I, well, maybe it's just to tell the audience where he's going to be. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess he does have to tell them because obviously they are not going to find this mythical creature that he described to Uther. So he'll have to be like, yeah, just camp in the forest for a couple <laughs> of days until the tournament is over. So what I really love about this scene as well, and I, and I kind of stole this from a meme that I saw on Tumblr, but uh, someone said like, when Merlin's like, they're mine. I wash them specially. He's like, Merlin, those are not your clothes. You have had the same set of clothes since you came out of your mother's womb. <laughs> those are not your clothes. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> I've never seen Merlin wear that shirt in my life. <laughs> so They're probably his pajamas. Oh, that's cute. Um, <laughs> also, I love the bag joke. I know I'm a ch- like this is the one time where Arthur being a bit of a dick I find funny in this episode because he's like, grab my bag, would you? And Merlin tries to get away with it, like. If you want to pass as a peasant, you probably carry your own bag. You're forgetting something, Merlin. No one will know. It's my bag. <laughs> just like, there's nothing, there's nothing in the bag. It's empty. He just throws an empty bag at him to carry. I'm like, this is, why do you even, need, oh, why do you need the bag? There's nothing in the bag. Um, it's just little things like that that I love. He's like, you know, surely there are other ways to prove yourself. Shut up, Merlin. This <laughs> is brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Thing. Um, the next one I have is the one with the expensive extra, and I called it this because the extra has so many lines, they must have had to pay him an awful lot of money. Um, is that the one who tells Uther that there's an assassin? I, I was like, this is second-rate Leon returns. Yeah. <laughs> because he's second-rate Leon. I bring you this information at great risk to myself. 
<laughs> That's how we know he's second grade. He's swarmy. Oh my god. Um. Also, Uther being like, I've heard of this Myror. It's like, really? Because I haven't, and I've been watching for two seasons now. <laughs> so... <laughs> Clearly, he's, uh, you know, he's not been talked about much. This is what I'm saying. Like, I've heard of this in my world. Really? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, him just being a sneaky bastard. Also, do the knights just carry gold around with them in case expensive extras show up to give them important information <laughs> about, you know, political things happening? Just clearly at them. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. Also, I must correct myself. Clearly, Uther has another serious scene in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, he has a few scenes in this episode, and at the Does end, he really? <laughs> he has this one, then he has the one where the dead knight shows up, and the one at the end. Uh, yeah, he has a few serious scenes. Okay, I I forgot all of them because all I can remember from this episode is like reaction shots of him. I never <laughs> clapping and grinning and being happy about the tournament. Oh, I love it. Um, so the next scene I have is where kind of the the plot really kicks into gear, and it's the one where Arthur checks into his hotel. <laughs> Um, he's not too happy about it and nor is Gwen and what I really love about this I mentioned this also in the moment of truth where sometimes Merlin does this really cute thing where they give us a line that suggests that other scenes have happened in the lead up to this one and um, Gwen says to Merlin I can't believe you talked me into this which not only suggests that Arthur said to Merlin hey I want to pretend to be a peasant and I want people to think that I'm uh, like for people to not recognize me in the tournament so i need to disguise myself as a peasant after that conversation merlin then went to gwen to ask her if she would do it and then merlin went back to arthur and said yes gwen said it's fine we'll disguise you and it's all good to go so just with that one line i can't believe you talked me into this it suggests that all those other things happened which i really really like because then we didn't have to watch any of those scenes so that's awesome um but like i do like in this moment their little like and I didn't honestly. Know... Yeah, go for it. Sorry, it just <laughs> this came to me with a bit of a of a lapse. <laughs> this idea, just I would have preferred to see a comedic scene with like Merlin trying to to convince Gwen to do this and like Gwen refusing for for several beats of dialogue until finally they have like a like they stare at each other and Gwen finally gives in. I would have preferred that to some of the over the top romantic shoved in your face kind of things we had later oh, on. Oh yeah, for sure. And like So, rather I'd rather have some cute Merlin and Gwen banter than whatever the fuck they were trying to do with the Arwen stuff. Exactly. And I love like I will say the one thing I really do like is they have this little this cute little like where Merlin is like this intermediary where first of all like Arthur turns around and Gwen whispers, I can't believe you talked me into this. And then Arthur goes up to, uh, sorry, and then Merlin goes up to Arthur and Arthur's like, you can't expect me to stay here. And like, both of them don't realize that the other one's not happy to be there. <laughs> and it's kind of yeah. like a really cool little moment, which I really appreciate. Um, But I don't know where Arthur was expecting to stay. Like, did he think he could just stay in the castle? Like, I, I really don't I, know. What maybe, at, I mean, Camelot does have to have an inn or something. I mean, isn't there where, where Gilly sleeps? In, in season four, but Arthur so... be recognized. Like that cloak isn't fooling anyone. <laughs> I mean, he goes he goes into Gwen's home and out of it unrecognized. He would have to go into his room unrecognized and just out again. Maybe I don't know. I I mean, where do I mean? Obviously, the other nobles stay at the castle, probably. So that's about yeah. I mean, I, I don't, don't see how an inn would be more comfortable than Gwen's humble townhouse. Like, but... no, it it wouldn't be. But yeah, that's 
that begs the question whether Arthur think he would be sleeping. Obviously, Gwen's house is his best option. And, I mean, this leads me to another thing that kind of irritates me about this episode, and I know I shouldn't get bogged down with this kind of stuff, but I just find it a little bit unrealistic that even, like, Merlin, who's naive and whatever, would feel comfortable leaving Gwen alone with, like, a man, like, in a position of power in her house, like, for, like, two or three days. Like, that's just weird to me. Like, she's unmarried, she's on her own. Not to suggest Arthur would do anything, but still, like, if I were Gwen, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that, like, just in case. And yeah. I know that's taken a bit of a sinister turn, like when you think. No, about but it's it. true. It's true. It's just like. But that's that's where the whole you know Merlin Merlin was made by aliens who once yeah saw a picture of the Middle Ages and then applied twenty first century standards to it. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, even you know, and this is I think where the family friendly thing comes into it because even by modern standards, you know, it's still yeah. a little. It's it, oh yeah. It's still a little. Bit, I mean, not as risky, but again, if it was, say, my boss, I wouldn't feel comfortable just letting him stay in my tiny apartment. Like, just, yeah, it would be weird eating yeah. together and, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. I, like, yeah. I get that it's kind of that idea to, like, get them to bond quicker. Like, I get it. And it is humorous in some capacity. But, yeah, yeah. especially for the historical setting i find it a little bit strange and i'm surprised that gwen felt comfortable with that which maybe answers my question as to why she doesn't change into a nightgown later on because that was my biggest pet peeve when she lays in that like makeshift blanket in a later scene i'm like why is she still dressed in her corset and dress when she's going to bed (laughs) that's so stupid but maybe she's just like i'm not undressing with the crown prince sleeping next door (laughs) yeah absolutely not um i i have Two things about the scene, just small things. Um, since when does Merlin have to remind Gwen how to be a servant? Because he's like, he whispers to her, like, food. And just like, why? Honestly, why does, well, does, does I, this happen? Because well, I think, you know, maybe like she says later on, like she's been told that Arthur wants to, you know, lay low and pretend to be a peasant. And like she sees this rightly or wrongly in my opinion slightly wrongly but she sees this as i'm inviting him into my home he's my guest and like maybe she yes, doesn't but think then... she should wait on him while while he's there yeah but then yeah i mean but still if if you have guests over you offer them yeah, things that's true. right so she would have if that's what she thought she would have just offered it but instead she for like to me it reads the other way around that she forgot that Arthur is supposed to act like a guest. And and instead she expected him to order her to do something. And when he didn't, she remembered, like Merlin reminded her to act like Arthur was just a, any regular guest. Yeah. What I really like here, though, and it's like a very blink and you'll miss it moment. But when Merlin walks up to Arthur and Arthur starts whispering about how much he can't stay here because he's above all this, you see that Gwen's like listening in. So we already get the seed sown of the fact she's like, who's this dude? <laughs> like, who does he think he is? Like already, which I think is quite cool. Um, even when he's just got there, he's already like pointing fingers and stuff. So I quite like that. That's already like she's already starting yeah. to get a bit irritated with him, even though he's just set foot in her house. Yeah. Um, 
my other small thing about this scene was Arthur looks very good in blue. Yeah, because of the blonde. It look, you know, it looks it and looks the blue really eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, absolutely. It's just such a good color on him. I'm glad he wears more of it in Medici. Yes. <laughs> um. So the kind of direct follow up to this scene uh, is the I've called it the one with the inspection where they inspect Sir William of Dera, who they pluck I... out of nowhere. I called it the one with the makeover. Yes, absolutely. That's also very accurate. Um, there's just like a cute little montage, and like a very comedic, like, you know, where they have to get all the beats down and Merlin and Gwen have to turn at the right time. And like, yeah, it's all the, all the usual kind of stuff. But I, I love that he collapses under the weight of the chain mail. <laughs> so I just really, I, I think this actor is tremendous in this role. He so does cute. so well. He is so like when, when they teach him how to walk and how to behave like a noble and Merlin is just like, act like you're better than anyone, everybody else. That's what the knights do. And Arthur is like, shut up. Merlin. Ignore him. Just, He's an idiot. <laughs> ignore him. You have to act like. You know, you were born to this, you are noble, you have duty and whatever else it was. And then that's actually where he straightens up a little bit. And Arthur is like surprised that, okay, that actually kind of works. And then uh, William turns around and is like, polish my armor, boy. I'm pretty sure you're the same age. <laughs> and first of all, that. And then he just, this, and then Arthur is like, yeah, you're getting the hang of it, and then William has this little <laughs> snort giggle thing going on. <laughs> so cute. And, like, okay, there's, like, a tiny little, like, B.5 plot going on here, which, <laughs> which I kind of wish they'd... Okay, look. I I think it's implied, or maybe they didn't mean to imply it, but that's how it comes across, that Gwen has a bit of a crush on this guy, because she's there are many reaction shots of her kind of like smiling like in fondness like here is one of them she does it many times during the jousting like where he can't control his horse and all that kind of stuff and then later on there's a moment where she makes the point to point out how handsome the ladies at court find sir william like why would you bring that up like i don't know i feel like there's something like i don't that would have been cool no i i didn't read it that like that at all i thought it was more like funness definitely yes and like um like more like she's happy that william gets to experience all of this because he's a farmer like who in the world would have thought that this is what he'd spend three days doing you know so i think it's more to do with that that she's happy for him and that like, that's how I read it. I never read it as Gwen having a crush on him at all. I read it as, like, Gwen Gwen being happy for this random dude that he gets to live the high life for a couple of days. And, uh, yeah, that. Uh, so I've just called it nice and simple. The next one I've called the one where Arthur goes to bed. It's his first night at, uh, at Gwen's house. Uh, the tournament will start in the morning. And this is where the problems start for them. So Arthur, you know, Gwen's sweeping and... Arthur gets up from the table and stretches and he decides that he wants to go to bed. Uh, and he just says, oh, is this my bed? And she doesn't say anything. Like, And I'm not being funny, but he asks, is this my bed? Like, I don't see what the problem would have been for her just to say, no, that's my bed. Like, what did he like? What did you think he was going to do? Burn her house down? He seems like, for, like in my opinion, he seems yeah. pretty relaxed and approachable in this moment. And yeah. in my opinion, Gwen, this is a you problem. <laughs> like, if you'd have just said, "No, that's my bed," you could have. Yeah, I mean, it. she could, she could have, she could have said, "Well, it's the only bed 
Yeah. You know, and that would have been very clear that actually it's it's the bed that she sleeps in, which confuses me a little bit because... Yeah, I know what you can say. <laughs> I mean... Tom. Obviously, in season one, the house, the interior of the house also looked different from what it looks like now because in season one we only look inside it like once in um mark of nimue but also why does gwen only have one bed left now where did like which one of her and her dad slept on the floor all these years or did they take turns or maybe did they maybe have two beds at one point and then gwen decided to sell her dad's which i could believe that she sold her dad's bed because clearly she doesn't need it anymore yeah and she she could you know she could use the money or whatever she traded the bed for so i suppose that is sort of plausible but also how could this not have come up when she talked to merlin about the the arrangement of letting arthur sleep there like or stay there it was like where will he sleep and then why didn't they think about this beforehand that's what confuses me is that there's there's gone a lot of preparation into arthur disguising himself as a peasant but no one has thought about actually where he would sleep yeah and like i think from from what i gather from gwen's body language she assumed that he would sleep on the floor which is okay fine but i'm just a bit like because yeah maybe maybe you're right maybe she did sleep on the floor quite a lot and they only ever had one bed and they took turns or because her dad's older he slept in the bed and she slept on the floor so for her like it's completely second nature well of course the bed's mine so arthur will sleep on the floor and i'm a woman so i will sleep on the bed and he'll sleep on the floor like so maybe that's the way that she thought about it because she seems very surprised like of course, you know, like when he says, oh, is this my bed? And again, like he's trying to be nice. Like he clearly isn't comfortable, but she, but she says, I hope you'll be comfortable. And he doesn't know that she doesn't have a bed at this point. So he thinks this is for him. And so when she says, I hope you'll be comfortable, he smiles really genuinely and says, I'm sure I will be. And I'm just like, Gwen, you continually like make problems out of things that wouldn't be problems if you just fixed your attitude a bit. Like just like say i'm sorry this is my bed can you please sleep on the floor <laughs> it's not a problem they these writers honestly sometimes they really love to make drama out of nothing it's just so stupid because this is the this is the catalyst that then drives their their argument like this is what it is yeah. and it's such a stupid misunderstanding it's just like yeah ah. the only thing i will say to defend how this went down is that uh, even in Moment of Truth, I think it's... I'm trying to remember if it, like, took a little while before Gwen had enough and figured that she should speak up to Arthur. Yeah, it was a couple. And that in, in this episode, it also takes her a little while to finally snap and speak up and, and tell Arthur what she really thinks. So I think that's... That's the only defense for this, that Gwen is still where she's like, okay, I will tolerate yeah. this begrudgingly. Or like she's uh, she's like caught off guard by the question and, and thinks she has to answer a certain way. Because that's what the entire episode is about, that servants and other people 
think that they have to act a certain way around Arthur. And so for Gwen, it's sort of the knee-jerk reaction when Arthur makes the assumption that something is for him. She has been trained to, yes, of course, let him have it. You know? Yeah. And I think that's the, the only defense. What I do like is uh, if you take this scene at Facebook and like if you just take it as that, as Gwen uh, being like giving off of the bed and then realizing that, you know, uh, she's angry about this, about Arthur using his privilege to, to take this thing. Because that's something that like looking at it from her point of view, it's just like Arthur exercising his privilege over her and like his power over her by just taking the bed. Like he's already sat down on it when he says, is this, this is my bed or yeah. is this my bed? Like he has already said, like he has already claimed it basically. That's how she sees it. So she turns around and then she rolls her eyes in this really annoyed, angry fashion. And I, I just kept thinking about uh, our episode like our last episode where we talked about Angel and I really paid a lot of attention to Angel in this episode and it's just like I bet that this eye roll was very genuine and like just you know reaction from Angel to just like white male privilege probably yeah (laughs) this is just like what what Angel looks like all the time when white dudes try to exercise their privilege that's true um, what I will say about this is this is where I'm where I start to see the reset on their relationship. Oh, yeah, bit. because yeah. this to me feels like a first time interaction, especially that weird parallel thing of them saying goodnight to one another, feeling awkward about being in the same house, which at least I I thank you for putting that in there because it is weird and it creeps me out. But it's like, you know, again, they've. They've already like slept like they've slept like meters away from one another already in Hunis' house. I know it was different, but this mm-hmm. isn't the first time this has happened. A, again, they've had scenes together. B, and in the previous episode, we've already seen Arthur like having a crush on her. Like, and this is my biggest beef with this episode is this is not the body language of a man that is in the presence of his crush. Okay, in any of these scenes, not in this one, not in the following one, and not in the argument. It's not till after the argument that we see the switch. And that bugs me because then don't put that moment in the curse of Cornelius Segan where he's all glassy eyed and uh, don't yeah. do it. And this it is also is. Yeah. I mean, we'll I'll probably say when we get to that scene, but like Arthur being like, I don't know how to talk to people I care about. And I'm just like, that's bullshit. You you you've been talking <laughs> to her just fine. Like, yeah, exactly. Time. You hadn't. You had an entire candlelight dinner date in which you talked just fine and had fun and it was not a problem. It's just now that you feel awkward because she's called you out on your bullshit. Again. Um, Anyway, let's move on because there'll be plenty more to talk about with that. But uh, the next one I have is the one where Myra is Spider-Man because he's climbing (laughs) up that wall like nothing's bothering him and the guards don't look left for some reason and see him plain as day. And it is day because it's day for night. So <laughs> there you go. It's oh. so great that Myror briefly turns into uh, Legolas because he states the obvious because he says, it would seem the prince does not want to be found. Yeah. And who is Whoa. this extra? Like, who is this dude? Yeah, this is like, like some like some castle. <laughs> that is just some castle employee, servant, clearly 
who is um, a spy and a traitor who never gets found out. Who never gets found out. It's not been brought up at this, and it's never brought up again that there are clearly people in Camelot wanting Arthur dead. And I'm just like, he just shows up out of nowhere. We didn't see Myra talking to him before, and I'm like, really? We had time for a joke about chicken, but we didn't have time to explain this? <laughs> just a bit like, this seems pretty important. Priorities, people. Apparently not. But, uh, yeah, so Myra has several scenes with this dude, actually. This could be a new OTP. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> No, no, no. It's not going to happen because the white dude is not conventionally attractive and Myra is black. So clearly no one is shipping them. Well, that does, well okay, what about, how do you explain Brooklyn Nine-Nine? <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine is an entity onto itself. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> um, so... Following that, so we've established that, you know, Myra... Okay, this is one thing I will say. I really like Myra because he is on top of things the entire time in this episode. He is really clever. Um, There's a scene later on, which uh, maybe I'll just skip to it when we get to it, but where he creeps into Arthur's room and he's checking the candles to see if they're still hot and things like that. He's really smart. He figures out that Merlin... Like, why is Merlin here? And by the way, Myra's been in Camelot all but two minutes, and even he thinks it's weird that Merlin hasn't gone with Arthur. And that's another thing that I really get irritated about. Even when Arthur's gone on the most stupid of errands, Merlin is always with him. So why is no one talking about this, that he's just stayed behind to help out this random night? Myra is the only one clever enough to figure it out. I'm just like, people of Camelot, what are you smoking? It's so annoying. Um, so the next scene that we have is the one with the first match, the first round of yeah. the tournament. And we've got jousting, which is really cool. Um, this is the problem, though, when you have like these big improvements to production and stuff, is that you know we have jousting in season two. We had no jousting in season one, and there's no explanation for why all of a sudden there's a jousting uh, a tournament. I was about to say rink. That's because I've just been watching Euro Nice. <laughs> there's a jousting rink, uh, jousting field, and we didn't have one last year. And there's no like, there's no explanation for why all of a sudden we have a we have a jousting tournament now, but we just had a regular at least, fighting one. At least they didn't try to make us believe that it's in the same spot as the other tournament. Oh, that would have been hilarious. Rings that they had. At least you can very clearly see the CGI castle in the background, so you know it's quite a way away from mm-hmm. the castle if you can see the entire castle in a relatively like it's relatively small in the background my first reaction when i watched this was oh there's morgana uh <laughs> yes morgana lives there she is um my first uh yeah so that was my first instinct. also there's a knight that i saw in the lineup that had such long hair that i thought it was a lady knight and i was like oh no it's not <laughs> but it's like really Aww. really long hair like re like just go back and rewatch the first few seconds of that scene and you're just like hang on is that, is that a girl no it's just a knight with really long hair which doesn't seem very practical for a helmet but um there you go um <laughs> tell that to hockey players uh oh, yeah, if I were a hockey player, I'd go straight for yanking that hair if I wanted to get it. Or is that foul? I don't know. I don't know anything about hockey. I I assume you can tell me. Uh, I actually can't. Oh. I actually can't. There you go. Um, I kind of... Okay, so William is adorable, like, trying to get his horse to shush and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of want more with him, funnily enough, after this episode. Like, where did he come from? Does he not have a family that's missing him while he's here? Like, you know, yeah. how did they find him? How did Merlin find him? Merlin how how does he do by himself in the castle? Because obviously, he is supposed to be a noble, so he's probably staying somewhere in the castle. 
How is he doing by himself? Is he having trouble ordering other people around? Oh, <laughs> or is he fully, fully, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like fully emerged, fully immersed in the, in the role and now doing really well. It's That's the C plot we deserved. <laughs> seriously but that would have been really nice um he's so cute on that horse though he's like he's like really really (laughs) sweet um why is leon in purple isn't he a knight of camelot shouldn't he be in red and gold i think he's uh jousting for his family in this okay on this occasion like that's my explanation that he is competing for the honor of his family rather than the honor of camelot so yeah yeah that's fair i guess it's just kind of really jarring when we're so used to seeing him in the red and i'm just like what (laughs) those aren't your colors (laughs) what are you doing yeah that's fair um okay i do think he looks good in purple though he looks right but everyone looks good in the camelot colors they're so striking you know they're really awesome Um, i feel like they wash him out my kind of thing that i never noticed until this moment is how does no one realize how much thicker arthur is than this sir william class. yes thank you i was i had the same thought like i never thought of it before but maybe it's just one of those things that if you don't know they're different people you wouldn't even think about it but still yeah. he is much different like like merlin could have found someone bigger yeah I'm, yeah i'm just a bit like so the uh the one thing that i love in these tournament sequences and we don't get this score ever again is the score it's so great it's just kind of weird like it's so awesome there's like this chorus happening and it makes everything seem so much more exciting than it is um they the stunt guys in this sequence are amazing they're notorious uh for being fearless they're french stunt guys and like apparently while they were filming this um the French guys would like really hurt themselves and stuff or like boast about all the injuries they'd had. And the English people were like, no, no, he, no, he's going to die. And they were like, yeah, I just cracked a rib or like whatever. <laughs> and they just had absolutely no fear at all. And that's just so awesome. Um, and the Foley in this sequence, which is the recording of sounds in post-production, like the breaking of the lances. It's so cool that like, <sharp inhale> I love it. It's so awesome. And it is a quite a cool sequence to watch. Um, the scene between Merlin and Arthur, though, in the tent is really interesting to me because Arthur says, you know, um, uh, oh, no. So he uh, he he tells William to go and wave at the crowd and, and, and acknowledge the crowd. And he's so cute. He's like practicing his wave before he goes out. And then uh arthur's like oh i do all the work and someone else gets all the credit wonder what that's like and Merlin's like oh, i don't know and then he turns around and he's like when i reveal my true identity everyone will know that it's for real or something like that and he turns around and merlin says at the end i will reveal my true identity and then receive all the recognition yeah, i, yeah, I that's, deserve that's it. and i'll get the credit i deserve thank you for reminding me and merlin says of course you will now, I think Arthur reads that as sarcastic because he turns around and responds with a list of duties for Merlin to perform as a punishment. But when you look at Merlin's face, he doesn't look like he's being sarcastic. He's just sort of like, of course you will. Of course you'll get all the credit you deserve. I never get the credit I deserve. But of course, you know, it makes sense that you'll get the credit. You deserve. And it's so like, oh, it's another knife in my heart of like, you know, Merlin being put upon by the burden of his destiny. Even <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I also read Merlin's response as sarcastic. Really? Oh, I didn't. I yeah. think it wasn't really like 
bitey enough. Like he, his, because we see him being sarcastic later on. You know, Pope Gwen likes to cooking. <laughs> you know, but I, I don't know. I feel like maybe it's just me. I mean, I think it can be interpreted either way. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. What I, yeah, I mean, so since we agree that Arthur is definitely thinking that Merlin is being sarcastic, and then he turns around with all of these chores for Merlin to complete. This is just where this whole retcon they did on Arthur since season one. It's just like this is the, the direct continuation of the Cornelius Segan episode, which, you know, nice, we have continuity, but also it would have been nice if we had had continuity from season one. Oh, yeah. Although, <laughs> and not just within season two. Although, to be fair, like, yeah. you know, th- this this sort of behavior, in my opinion, isn't, like, is, is, like, fairly, like, recognizable for Arthur. Like, I think his behavior in, like, in Ep 1 was really, really awful, like, with the standing on Merlin's back and stuff. But, but Arthur is still such a child at this point in, like, in the whole narrative of the show. Like, I've said, I genuinely don't think we see any real progression in his behavior towards other people until we get to season four. And so season one, two, and three for me are all uh, this weird jumble of, back and forth on the radar depending on what the writers wanted that week and basically what the tone of the episode called for because this whole sequence is meant to be fairly comedic so they're like ha it's funny Arthur getting Merlin to do a bunch of things that are very labor intensive isn't that funny and that doesn't seem that out of character for me because it's not like he's hurting him but uh, yeah I it's just just that in combination with all of the other things Arthur does in this episode that he already learned (laughs) before it's just, it's just one too many, you know. If it had been a standalone between like this and the lesson that Arthur learns in this episode, really being about, you know, proving something to himself, understanding for himself that he is worthy of his of his title and of his position. Like if that had been his main drive this entire time, that would be different. But the drive is. Other things he can, other things that he can live like a regular person and be treated as not special and be fine with it and actually want it, only to realize over the course of the episode that no, he doesn't want to be treated like a normal person. He wants to be special, but he also wants to prove himself that he deserves to be special. Yeah. That's what he learns in the end, that he deserves to be special because he's proven to himself that he can be special and still be a nice person which i think is fair you know because at the end of the day if you like i I can kind of see his point and like this uh i don't want to skip over the guys and merlin scene but like oh okay okay i'm gonna hold it we'll do the guys and merlin scene and then i'll say what i was gonna say uh so i put the one where gaius is mad uh, and the only reason why I wanted to comment on this scene was Gaius says that Merlin was meant to clean his le- leech tank, uh, scrub the floors and do the laundry. And my question is, is Merlin expected to do these things when he's doing his normal duties for Arthur? Or is this just something Arthur, uh, a guy is making him do because he thinks Merlin has free time? Because if if yes, does Gaius normally scrub the floors and do the laundry? Because it doesn't seem like he's in a very fit shape to do that. So who does do it when? Honestly, I would have assumed that these are things that other servants do for guys because someone has had to have been doing it before Merlin arrived. And we, yeah. I'm pretty sure because, um, uh, they, they have servants in Camelot to do the laundry, or at least they should have servants to do the laundry in Camelot. And someone should be 
in charge of cleaning Guy's floor unless Guy doesn't bo- isn't bothered about having them cleaned ever. In which case, why does Merlin have to do it yeah. if Guy doesn't care about his floors? So yeah, I think this is to me this reads as Guy is giving Merlin a bunch of chores because otherwise what? he worries that Merlin isn't properly occupied and going to end up on the street doing drugs and stealing I don't know what you're gonna steal in the middle ages apples yeah this is this is very very confusing to me and also that Gaius doesn't question why Merlin hasn't gone with Arthur is just that's what I'm saying it's just completely out of also another thing is why does Merlin just tell Gaius like you know, why doesn't Merlin just tell? Because obviously Merlin does trust Gaius. Yeah, he tells him a and, lot of things. Yeah, like why wouldn't why wouldn't Merlin just tell Gaius, listen, you can't tell this to anyone, but Arthur returned to Camelot to secretly joust in the tournament so no one will recognize that it's him. I don't know, does he think that Gaius is going to run to Uther? I don't think Gaius would. I think it could either be A, Arthur specifically told him not to tell anyone apart from, <laughs> no, As if but, would yeah, care. But apart from people that are, that absolutely have to know B uh, Merlin might uh, be scared that Gaius will disapprove and stop him from doing it or C he might not want to put Gaius in a position where he has to lie to Uther like you know those three things because mm. yeah then Gaius would be in a position where he'll be like well um, Arthur is actually in Camelot doing something fairly dangerous like not super dangerous but still and if something ever happened to him because obviously people die doing jousting and Uther didn't know about yeah. it and he found out that Gaius did it would be pretty bad so maybe it's just... I can I can see that because that was sort of the same logic that drove Merlin in beginning of the end when he didn't tell him about Mordred right away until he definitely had to tell him he has lied to him before he's lied to him about Freya he's lied to him about Mordred he's like uh, Freya happens after yeah yeah but I'm saying that he like he has lied to him in the course of the show like in the in the first two seasons yeah quite, but this is not like this is not up until Myro shows up or Merlin learns about Myro he's not like Merlin isn't this is not a life or death yeah, situation you know Freya Freya was alive in death life or death situation for Freya and there was no real need to tell Gaius about her because Merlin wasn't you know avoiding duties or anything while protecting her or trying to figure out how to free her you know there are I think those are differences like this is up until the assassin shows up or Merlin becomes aware of him, this is really lighthearted, actually. Yeah, fair enough. I guess, it's again, it's just one of those things where they needed time to pad out the episode and they thought it would be funny, like, Guy is thinking Merlin had yeah. nothing to do. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it works for comedy in a way, I guess. Like, it's fine. It, it, it works fine. It just doesn't make much sense when you look at it, like, from, from a, from a distance. Um, so the one I've titled next is the one with the DMC, which for those of you that don't know what that means, it means deep, meaningful conversation. Um, and so what I was, what I put a pin in before is that despite the fact that I find it very hard to feel sorry for Arthur when he's in such a position of privilege and that his big thing in this episode is boo-hoo, I'm privileged. On the other hand, I do also appreciate the fact that from like this is where he really does kind of lay it down in the most plain and humble sort of way where he's like, you know, I know that I'm good at the things that I do and I work really hard to be good at these things, to be the best fighter, to, you know, um, to train my knights. I work my ass off to do it. 
and finding out that people may have been pulling their punches to make me feel better about myself, even though we think that it's more to do with a safety thing. Well, that's what Leon says. We don't know what the other knights think. It must be a bit of a punch to the gut if this is the first time he's realizing this, because maybe it's making him doubt his self-confidence and being like, you know, I don't what know. What if I'm that, not as good? Yeah, yeah, like, what if I'm not as good as I thought I was, A, but B, if he, if it doesn't make him doubt his self-confidence and he's like, no, I know that I'm good enough, but how am I supposed to prove that to myself? How am I supposed to feel good about myself if I'm not even given a chance because of a title I didn't ask to be born into. And it reminds me a bit of a scene in Drastically Redefining Protocol when Merlin makes them both invisible. This is, uh, for those of you that don't know, although I'm sure most of you do know, it's a modern AU. And when they make when they make him invisible, Arthur has this little moment of, um, uh, not in a monologue, it's, uh, it's just in the narration where he says, time sort of stopped when he and his father arrived anywhere. And he felt like an anthropologist watching real life for the very first time because when you're famous you don't get to experience life as it is you experience it very differently and you don't just get to observe things and so I kind of can see how that would be a bit of a burden on him in some ways and I get it when he says it like this when he says if I win the tournament it will be because I deserve it and that's all I want to feel which is quite nice it's just everything else about his behavior and the way he says it makes it hard to feel for him when he does the things it's just (laughs) but i get it like i get where he's coming from and it's it's not easy kind of getting people to respect you for who you are i think that's what he wants he 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 wants what everyone else wants which is respect but he you know how can he get it when he's not allowed to actually prove himself on his merit people treat him better because i mean that's that's literally what he says that's like how can how can i know that people respect me of who i am rather than my title exactly or something to that effect what he says um and then yeah we have this moment where he decides he wants to have a bath and gwen says that she doesn't have a bath and i (laughs) I know that this shouldn't be what's going through my head when I watch these scenes, but when she said, I don't have a bathtub, the first thing that goes to my mind is just, ew. <laughs> like, how do you keep yourself properly clean if all you're doing is washing with a bowl? And they probably didn't, I mean, I know, like, the smart person in me knows they didn't wash at all, and that makes me go even more, ew. <laughs> but still, when she's just like, I don't have a bathtub, I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> and you're wearing the same clothes all the time. It just makes me a bit grossed out. But yeah, he's he's being a bit of a. I mean, but do you think he do you think he even realizes he's being a little bit uh, in this moment? No, he doesn't. I titled this scene the one with the one in which sarcasm is lost on Arthur, because he does not realize that, especially when she's like got her shawl from the door and is like, I'll just go down to the well and fetch some water then. And he's just like, mm, stretching some more. And she's just like, all right. Like, he clearly does not get that he's creating more work for her. Exactly. That it's actually very hard and painstaking work to even, like, even if she had a bathtub, how much work goes into filling that bathtub yeah. with warm water that is still warm by the time he gets to it. But, yeah, so they have, like, and again... I'm sorry, this is not the body language of a man with a crush. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, you know, oh, yeah. give me a bowl. Yeah. Like, no. um, 
So, oh yeah, just that kind of amps up Gwen's frustration even more. But they did it quite well. Like it's like you said, Momo. They they're layering it. It's not like she has one scene where and then she explodes. We see her listening in on their conversation. Then we have the instant with the bed. Then we have the thing with the with the bathtub. And then it all kind of comes to a head later on. So yeah, it's quite good. Um, the next one I have is the one with the long-awaited explosion, which is kind of like this big like meme I feel or it, or it was when I got into Merlin the first time because we hadn't had a scene like this yet where Merlin just spelled everything out and he was like this is all the stuff that I do and no one really appreciates it and it was like you know what fair enough you you deserve this <laughs> yeah um and I like that Gaius does admit that he was wrong later on because my note for this is Gaius you're being a dick if Arthur is away can you just let Merlin slack off a bit you know how hard he works yeah. you have all this people is- yeah, it is a, sort of taken away. This is, uh, you know, s- sort of skipping to the end. But, like, Gaius takes his apology back, basically. Which is just, like... So his, his apology was very conditional, clearly. And I'm just... Nah. Well, it was conditional but... based on the fact that he thought that Merlin... You know, because he thought he was being horrible to Merlin by... by um stopping him from taking time off when actually Merlin was lying to him the whole time. So, you know, I like, yeah, I think he is, you know, he is within. I mean, yes, the punishment is for the lying, but also Gaius clearly hasn't thought about why Merlin lied to him that Merlin, like you just, because I just asked the same question. Why doesn't Merlin just tell him the truth? And maybe Gaius could have come to the same results that we did that maybe Merlin was told not to tell anyone not even Gaius that Merlin thought that not telling Gaius would protect Gaius and also Gaius fails to realize that Merlin's outburst was completely genuine that all the things he said were completely true yeah regardless of whether or not Merlin was lying in that moment about why he doesn't want to do the chores for Gaius the the reason why he why he snapped are all still true. Yeah. So I am yeah I am not a big fan of guys in this episode <laughs> yeah. as per usual. Um. So usual. uh, the one with the second match. I only really have one note for this scene because a lot of the stuff that happens is just the same as what's been happening in the previous one. Um. Yeah. Except for I think this is the scene where Gwen says that uh, Arthur's an arrogant pig. Um, but there's a little scene between Merlin and Arthur in the tent, which I really, really love because Arthur finally jousts against Sir Leon for the first time and beats him. And Arthur comes in and he's got like, and I love the fact that they make him look sweaty. Like he's actually been exerting himself and he's all hyped up and like, like, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a jock. And he's like, no one can say Sir Leon let me win that time. And he's like really excited. And then, um, and then Merlin's like, you really love, like, you're really loving all of this attention, aren't you? And Arthur, like, and this is, like, you know, this is me seeing it through my Mirtha goggles, but it just feels so domestic and pure. Like, Merlin's teasing him, and Arthur's just like, just go and water the horses or something, will you? And he just kind of gives him, like, a smirk and basically tells him to piss off. And it's so sweet because, yeah, like, he's not being a dick like he was in the previous scene. But again, lack of continuity. This is what we like, or at least I like. Not so much Arthur giving Merlin a long list of chores. <laughs> what, with, what with Arthur, like, the them making sure that Bradley actually looks like he exerted himself, sweaty and all. And then out comes Sir William, whose hair is fluffy, his, <laughs> his cheeks are pale, he looks like not a hair is out of place, like he just took a walk in a nice meadow. spring meadow. 
And I just like, <laughs> how Citizens how does no one realize that this is not the same person? <laughs> this is absolutely true. Yeah, it is kind of, but this is what I'm saying. Like, I'm mostly surprised about Gaius because to me, and maybe it's still too early in the show and too early in Merlin and Arthur's relationship, but I don't really think that it is. But for Gaius to know that Arthur has gone away, quote unquote, and then he sees Merlin standing anywhere in Camelot, I'm surprised that Gaius doesn't go, Arthur's here, isn't he? Like, because there's no reason for Merlin to be here if Arthur's not in Camelot. And everyone knows this. Everyone knows that they're married already. So why is no one saying anything apart from this one smart assassin guy? I don't understand. But there you go. Uh, And I think the next one we have is the one with the argument. Yeah. Okay. So this is the big climax of the episode in terms of like you know uh arthur or arthur's main kind of conflict um it's fine the only thing i will say though and like like i know i'm kind of skipping but i'm trying to tie these two scenes together is that i don't know why we needed two of these because we have this and then gwen has another go at him after the dinner like when arthur messes up again so like yeah i I have i have a lot of thoughts about this dinner thing so let's talk about the yeah. dinner thing when we get uh, to the so dinner a, thing why is arthur asking gwen to mend his clothes why isn't he asking merlin to mend his clothes is it just another way to get her annoyed at him or is it a way for us to believe oh look aren't they so married i i don't really know mm. it's just like gwen my shirt needs mending i'm like okay uh fine um and like okay i understand that gwen expect certain things i just don't understand why like she knows who arthur is and i don't know what she expected okay yeah this is it i don't know why her expectations were so high going into this arrangement and why she's so surprised when her expectations aren't met and why she's so surprised when arthur's behavior is the behavior that it is that's what i don't get leading into this outburst because she should know even better than merlin because she's lived her whole life in camelot what royalty is like and has had interactions with royalty her entire life morgana is the only exception of something i was i was about to say that gwen has been mainly exposed to morgana and morgana treats her very differently from how arthur treats merlin or any other servant that's i think that's where this where this belief comes from that Arthur should be different because Morgana is also different. Yeah. You know, and and she and Morgana clearly have a very close and good relationship and Morgana probably does these things where she thanks Gwen for for doing things that Gwen is supposed to be doing for her job anyway, you know, and where Morgana says, Gwen, would you please do something, you know, and I think that's where, where Gwen's believe comes from that once Arthur has decided to live like a peasant, he would be fully committed and actually succeed doing it on the first try Yeah, <laughs> without I, any help. I wish that was because, yeah, we've come to that conclusion after like, you know, an hour and a half of meta. I wish that that maybe was a conversation that Merlin and Gwen could have had. There were many opportunities to cut bits and pieces out of this episode for her to, you know, maybe he's asking, how's it going? And she's like, I I thought he'd be different. This is what working for Morgana is like. 
Yeah, it could it could have been as easy. I mean, that would have also given Morgana and, and Katie a line or two where it's just an interaction between Morgana and Gwen, where Morgana is saying please and thank you, and then Gwen turns to to Merlin and is like, "See, that's that's what they be like. I thought Arthur would be the same or yeah. should behave the same." And then they have this conversation. It's yeah. This is, I agree with you that Gwen has this completely skewed view of, of what Arthur should behave like now that he's decided that he's going to live like a peasant for three days. And I just, I, I think that Gwen just fails at understanding that Arthur isn't likely to change that quickly. That, like I said, you can't unlearn privilege and habit of a lifetime in the span of a couple of days, especially not if no one sits you down and calmly explains to you that this is not what real people li- are like. Yeah, exactly. And, and what, what is expected. Like, how is Arthur supposed to know that this is expected of him if no one tells him? And that's what he says. How am I supposed to know if you don't tell me? And I mean, she makes this point about like telling him that he's not a child. He shouldn't be told to be decent, which to be fair is a, is a good point. Mm-hmm. Like he, he shouldn't have to be told all of these things, but like clearly you need to nudge him a little bit and remind him that Arthur actually, you know, don't behave like this and it's this is what he's learned from his father like he's observed his father and i would assume that's where he gets it from yeah absolutely to, to behave like this and obviously arthur especially in the early season tries to emulate uther as much as he possibly can in order to make uther proud so it's it's not that surprising and it's just it bothers me that that gwen has this i mean the mo the second she said uh that he's not a child she then like Angel makes this this face. She does this thing with her mouth that is like, no, I shouldn't have. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But then uh, she just a, a moment later she just changes her expression to like, no, I should have said this. Someone needed to say it. And like she gets this expression where she's a bit more defined and she's like, no, I was right to say this. Yeah. And then she then he goads her into saying more and she's like all right in for a penny in for a pound i'll just give it all to him now and i'm not saying she doesn't have a point i'm just saying that the way she exploded at him like could have been avoided if you know and it i don't say that it would have been gwen's job to explain these things to arthur i'm saying that it probably honestly should have been merlin's job because merlin has a vastly different relationship with Arthur. Merlin has no problem telling Arthur what he thinks all the time. And it should have been Merlin who tells Arthur in preparation for this, listen, if you want to behave like a peasant, if you want to be a peasant, then remember that these are things that peasants do and that these are things you can't expect to have when you are a peasant. Which brings me back to why did no one think about where Gwen and Arthur each would sleep in Gwen's house that only has one bed if they have been planning this. Exactly. And <sighs> and like I said uh, in the previous uh, thing that I said about Arthur's attitude, is like, you know, the reason why I kind of get irritated at this is that, you know, Arthur's being really nice in this scene. He comes in and, like, he says, oh, is this where you're sleeping? Where's your bed? And when she says you're sleeping in it, um, he says... 
why didn't you say anything? But he's like really like he yeah like, like because he, he remembers so yeah yeah he remembers asking if this is his yeah. bed probably and then you, you know, know I think yeah and like he said rightfully so I was like well you know how am I supposed to and like he's he's you know his uh, tone of voice is completely uh, non-confrontational whereas Gwen's is completely confrontational and what you said about this outburst moment was interesting because what I noticed on this rewatch is this follows very closely in fact uh, if not. Yeah, so the only scene separating this and Merlin's outburst is the jousting match. And I think this is meant to almost mirror that outburst because they're very similar in the way they just kind of mm. come out with it. Except Merlin's outburst is really earned. He's earned that resentment. <laughs> Whereas Gwen yeah. has had this dude in her house for all of two nights and, you know, like I said, needed maybe to manage her expectations a little bit. But the line that really made it hard for me to kind of be on Gwen's side in this moment maybe maybe not later on but in this moment was when she said this is my home and you are a guest in it and I was like yeah. alright Gwen I think someone needs to explain to you how the feudal system works because this and I know that that maybe isn't right but you should know this like you should already be aware of these social rules so the fact that you think it's even appropriate to say to the crown prince of Camelot regardless of whether he's wearing Merlin's clothes or not this is my home and you are my guest. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Don't do it. I'm surprised Arthur wasn't like really mad at her after that. Like really. No, because, because that's the kind of person. That's not how it works in Camelot. In Camelot, this is Gwen's house. Even if she's aware that Arthur, like even if that scene hadn't happened where Arthur is like, your house will always be yours and all of this. Like, it's still the house Gwen has lived in all her life. This is her home. And even if it's not her, like, you know, her possession, her house, it is still her home. And it's it's still that she invited him to stay with him or was asked if he could stay with her and let him stay in her house. So I'm... I, I have absolutely no problem. That is what made me go like, yes, Gwen, you absolutely have a point. This is the thing that I say. I know you want this to be historically accurate. And I know the problem of the show is that sometimes they try to be or they want things to be historically accurate. And then again, they don't care and they pick and choose what they make historically accurate and what not. But that's the thing. You just because of the, this, you can't apply historical accuracy to literally anything because this show is not historically accurate. They they pick and choose what they want to use from actual real life history. And it is clearly not how social interaction between people of different classes works. But the problem is, is that they do use the class structure in every other situation, except when it applies to Arthur, because they want the plot to advance. Because whenever we see visiting knights, nobles, Uther, they all make sure that they treat servants as though they are of a lower class than they. And Arthur is the only part, because of course they want him to have normal interactions with people. And in this instance, they want him to then eventually have a romantic relationship with Gwen. But when everybody else treats servants and talks to servants as if they're servants, apart from him and arguably Morgana, it just looks out of place because then you're like, well, if 
if Gwen, because I know Gwen only serves Morgana, but she will have ha- like she will have had to serve other. You know, we see that she has to serve Vivian at some point. I'm sure that's not the first time it's happened in her career, and so she is very aware of her place, aware of what is expected of her. So that's why I'm very surprised that she feels so bold to speak to him in this way because she's not a noob. This isn't Merlin we're talking about. She should know better than this. Not not better than this in terms of, oh, she doesn't have the right to feel this way, but she should know better than to voice it in that way, considering how long she's been in this job. That's what I'm saying. Because I know this like show isn't historically accurate at all, but they do m- make an effort of showing the fact that servants are beneath the royal family. It's one of the like it's like one of the biggest things that we see with Uther and other knights. So that just kind of grated me a bit. I'm surprised that Arthur is so like calm about being spoken to like that. Because if it were Merlin speaking to him like that, I don't think he would be very forgiving towards it. And I wonder if it's that Gwen gets away with it because she's a woman and she's a bit more like I don't know what the word would be um uh, she has know. more cleavage no that he's expected to treat her in a more gentle manner you know he can't yeah. throw a spoon at Gwen I'm, he can't honestly, hit Gwen you know honestly I think that is that is a big part of the reason why why he why she gets away with it yeah why she gets away with it exactly let's move on from this uh the only thing I was going to say is the ending of this scene is the dinner thing where Arthur apologizes and okay, that's nice that he apologizes. And then he says he's going to cook dinner for Gwen, which is so bizarre because I'm just like, and like, this is, I think where they try to, they were like, Oh shit, this is meant to be a romantic episode <laughs> and try to shoehorn it. And he's going to cook dinner, which uh, leads us very nicely into what I titled the one with the chicken, because it's then Merlin walks in or like he bumps into Gwen on her way out who's just gone for a walk, like, she gets sent out for a walk, and she decides that a walk would be lovely, even though she was in the middle of doing house chores when we bumped into her, so, okay, I guess they can wait. Um, And Merlin just kind of goes and says, Gwen says you're cooking. And, like, again, so this is where we start to see these romantic kind of undertones creeping in. And I'm pretty sure we're into the final act of, like, like, we're, like, in the third act of the episode by now. And Merlin asks, are you trying to impress her? And Arthur's like, don't be ridiculous, Merlin. And it's, this is just feels yeah so forced. What do you think? I agree. It's just where did it come? Where where did it come? From? Where did this go? Like even I mean at this point at this point it doesn't even feel too bad yet because I don't see his don't be ridiculous Merlin as too much of a of a cover up thing yet. Like this is still in the realm of the believable for me. It gets worse later later yeah it gets much much worse like i can this this i'll let it get away with like yeah, the episode, okay. i'll let it get away with this because this is still fine it's it gets much worse later on so i'll i i'm going with it yeah uh the only thing i won't go with is arthur you just got yelled at rightfully or wrongfully for doing a thing that you shouldn't have done and you're literally now about to do another thing you shouldn't do. Like, oh, I have, dinner. I have many thoughts about this, but I want to keep them for the end of that dinner scene, okay, like the second cool. part of okay, the dinner cool. scene, because that's when they um, are relevant. Well, while I'm talking about it, then I'll just quickly refer to the fact that he then does it a third time when he asks Merlin to bring his mattress down. I don't know whether he actually does it because we don't see the fallout of that scene, but again, 
after their second yeah. argument, Arthur apologizes and Merlin interrupts and then the Myral thing happens and then he agrees to sleep on the floor because we feel like he's learned something and then he asks Merlin to bring his mattress. And I'm just like, do you, did you guys read any kind of book about writing? I don't understand how and this like, is happening. It's just, it's so, like, even this entire time, like, Arthur, Arthur has slept on the floor in Yaldor without a mattress. He's been fine. And hunting, I, I am imagine. Sh- I am sure that Arthur has slept on the forest floor many times without a mattress in his chainmail. And now he's asked, like, he offered to sleep on a pile of sacks with a blanket in his comfortable clothes rather than his chainmail, which already, to me, sounds much more comfortable than sleeping on the on the cold forest floor in chainmail. And I'm just like, since when does Arthur... I mean, obviously, everybody enjoys sleeping in a nice, comfy bed, but also, Arthur wants to be incognito. He doesn't want to be recognized. He doesn't want to draw any attention to the fact that he's there. What does he think it's going to look like if Merlin drags a bunch of pillows on a mattress yeah, out of the prince's right. room down to the lower mm-hmm. town. I'm just... Idiot. Arthur, Idiot. clearly, please. But this is jumping way ahead of where we are, so... Yeah, but it was just, like, on the tail end of, like, Arthur does a stupid yeah. thing, gets told off, then Arthur does a stupid thing, then gets told off, and then he does the th- a third stupid thing. And but it doesn't get like... told off. And well... that's probably where it lags. He should have been told off a third time. And this is the thing, I think because Merlin is like, you know, however you want to say it, like platonically or otherwise, like obsessed and in love with Arthur, it's just like he he doesn't usually let him have it. And this is, I think, where like where maybe we, maybe this is a fanon versus canon issue that Merlin doesn't really tell Arthur how he feels a lot of the time, which is why he has so much pent up frustration and then he takes it out on Gaius. Like... He yeah. doesn't say to Arthur, "You're being a dick." He says, "How am I going to carry a mattress?" Is <laughs> like, like, but again, we're skipping it. But that's, but I think maybe that's also where maybe Arthur's relationship with Gwen is slightly different. Maybe he hasn't had it said to him quite like that because Merlin literally worships the ground that Arthur walks on most of the time and pretends like he's irritated by Arthur, but he just keeps it in and he doesn't really say like he does occasionally, but not really on a daily basis and this is i think where like later on i think in seasons four and five we see it a bit more where he's like look but at this point i think he's probably still worried about losing his job and then not being able to protect Arthur. <laughs> so it's yeah like- especially after last episode he almost did lose his job yeah. because someone else was better at his job than he was um so basically, in between uh, this and uh, the actual date, we we have a couple of things happening. Like Merlin goes and sneaks off to get a shirt, which is where I said Myra checks the candle and he's sneaking around looking for Arthur, being very, very smart. And then this is where I kind of get annoyed because Myra has been shown to be very intelligent throughout this entire episode. But when he's creeping through Arthur's um, Arthur and Gwen's window, when Gwen comes back, he he doesn't think about the fact that there is a patrol and i don't believe that he hasn't been monitoring that monitoring that patrol all this time i also refuse to believe that because the the patrol only sees him because he starts running away what would have stopped him from just dropping down to the ground in his dark cloak with his in this case very convenient dark skin and just hide behind because when there even are things in front of gwen's window where he could have ducked behind and i'm just like Myro, please, you're not, you're smarter than that. He he really is. Um, Which then kind of brings us neatly onto the one with the, what I've called the one with the hashtag date. 
because oh okay no sorry i apologize there is a scene in between uh because gwen comes home and we see myra getting found out and then uh we have a scene with the dead knight uh and the only reason i wanted to mention this is because um a i just love uther being concerned and coining onto the fact oh thank god arthur isn't here and I, and i think it reminds the audience that no one knows that arthur's here because we've seen him all this time um and then obviously that kind of makes Merlin realize oh shit arthur's actually in danger but again uther being concerned is always a nice thing yeah um okay so the one with the hashtag date there's a lot to dissect here um but i will say the one thing i did like about this was i love that we have a bit of uh, the kooky gwen back where she's like uh i just mean you sound like a pig and then she realizes how that sounds like and she's like ah no <laughs> that's not what i meant and it kind of was reminiscent to me of like, oh, I like much more ordinary men like you. That was really sweet. I like that. Yeah. Please give me more of that and less of what we got for the entirety of this episode. Um, yeah. But, okay, we know Gwen is smart. We know this. And yet she's been eating off of these plates the entire meal and didn't notice that they weren't her plates. Didn't notice mm-hmm. until after Arthur picks them up and takes them away just because we needed to have this cute, hash- quote unquote, cute dinner scene. Just, oh. okay can i can i get yes. into my rant yes. now it bothers me immensely that gwen is offended that arthur had dinner delivered because she must like i know arthur said he's gonna cook dinner but everyone with half a brain cell in camelot will know that arthur cannot actually cook anything And having food delivered from the palace is still a very lovely gesture. He still provided dinner, even if he didn't make it himself. And honestly, it is more considerate, in my opinion, to have food delivered that is actually, as she says, super delicious, than making her eat whatever he could have made. Like, his option was to serve her raw chicken. (laughs) you know and that is just not a good idea for anyone and it's just also the palace food is better food than she probably has on a regular basis at home and i really don't see why this warranted another outburst especially on this scale Mm. because i still think that it was a very kind gesture of him to apologize like like even as a as an apology an additional apology to how he has been behaving that he thinks of you know providing dinner and then coming to terms with his own inability to actually be able to cook anything like him saying i'm gonna cook dinner i don't know where that came from honestly because (sighs) i um it was a spur of the moment thing that he said and then he realizes he can't actually cook anything so he does the next best thing which is order food in which honestly, I think, like I said, is much more considerate than making her eat raw chicken or just whatever else he would have found around her house. It's just, I don't see why she's blowing up at him like this. I mean, sure, he could have been upfront with her from the start and been like, listen, I didn't actually cook this. I had this delivered from the palace because I didn't realize I can, because I realized I can't actually cook and I wanted her to have a nice meal. Sure. He could have said that, but honestly, the way she reacted to, to it when she found out, it wasn't about him lying about making food. It was about him not making the food himself. It was and also just... sort of about lying because she says to him, I'm not ashamed to be a servant. At least I'm not a liar. And I was just kind of like, 
Because but that was like very that. tacked on. That was very tacked on at the end because the the whole lying thing doesn't come up yeah. until this very yeah. end of the thing, and it's just. I mean, when he says, I only hunt the food, I don't cook it, that's what servants are for. If she gets mad at that, that's all right. But when, that's like, when she says it. He says, I can... That's, uh, yeah, Yeah, but before that, she's already blown up at him oh, yeah. for for not cooking the food himself, even though he said he's going to cook it. And I'm just like, why are you angry about this? You had a nice dinner. You had fun. You were flirting, both of you. It was really sweet, you know, and as you said, it was super delicious. Also, you... Like you said, Rox, Gwen failed to recognize these castle castle plates for the entirety of dinner <laughs> until now. Like, how does she not realize that these are not her plates up until now? And I'm just like, I find her reaction vastly disproportionate to what has actually happened. Absolutely, and she, like, and she says things like. I thought you'd shown some humility, which is just an excuse to shoehorn that in later. And she says, uh, you've done something kind for me, even though I'm just a servant. But like you said, Momo, he was trying to do something kind. It's just not what she expected. Yeah, exactly. Like, Arthur keeps being nice and keeps trying hard within the limits of his, you know... um, internalized privilege that he's trying to overcome and it's just not she's he's just not as good yet as she expects him to be and i'm just like gwen i love you i really really do and i'm not saying you're completely wrong about what you're saying but please consider approaching it differently approaching it differently and also considering that arthur is trying to unlearn habits and that's more than uther has ever tried to do that's more than probably any other noble apart from arthur and morgana has ever tried to do and you know cut him some slack exactly um and then we have that bullshit moment of uh you know him uh taking her hand and saying that i find it hard to talk to people that i care about oh yeah this is where I'm like, this is where it stops. This is not believable anymore. Even I can't explain that away. I don't know where it came from and I don't know what they were thinking. Just... It's just so out of the blue all of a sudden. It's just... And then it's the... It's the yeah, the, the slow motion kiss is the next scene. Yeah. Uh, we might as well transition into it. Like, this entire scene... Is out of it's, nowhere. <laughs> it's... Yes! Literally! It's, it's, so it's out of, like, what, what led up to this other than him saying, like, the only signs we have for this is him at the end of an argument saying, I don't know how to talk to people I care about, when we've had no inclination in this entire episode so far that he cares about her this way at all. And also, it's just, even if we did, I don't think Arthur would actually go as far as, like, kiss her immediately. I just... This is so rushed. Like, okay, we have said this before. Aesthetically speaking, the kiss is a beautiful scene. Aesthetically speaking, it's very pleasingly shot, and both Bradley and Angel look very pretty. 
But I still don't see why that kiss is in this episode at all. It does not belong in this episode. Not only that, but it is... uh, Like, I honestly forget because I obviously know the scene fairly well from like fan vids and you know we we've all seen it a bunch of times like the the isolated scene and I rarely sit down to watch this episode back to front but when I did this time I just couldn't believe how out of place it felt and I like even Angel was surprised when she read the script and I'm sure she wasn't the only one it is so stupid and honestly the build-up for their relationship would have been almost perfect if you just changed that date scene and removed this bullshit. It would have been fine. This ending with this weird romantic subplot is so shoehorned in more than I ever remembered, and I thought I remembered it being shoehorned in. I didn't remember nothing, because this is so out of place. It's It's very frustrating for a scene that's so beautifully shot, and you know, they have this really wonderful acting moment where after they pull apart, they both look like they're surprised it felt the way that it did, which, again, feels like a moment that should be more earned. Yes. I mean, I've said since the beginning of time that I think Arthur and Gwen's first kiss should have been in Sweet Dreams to break the spell because I think it would have felt more fairy tale, and it didn't have to go exactly like it did in the tent. You could have made it more of this fairy tale kind of kiss. Like, you could have done it easily, um and for me this is just a waste it's completely misplaced in the second episode of a season where did that come from it leads on later on in the episode to dialogue which is pure bullshit and even the fact that Gwen comes to him with this handkerchief which is a big deal as we all know to give someone that 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 he is expected to wear or I don't know if he's expected to wear it outside or if he just keeps it in his pocket but maybe that's why he felt like he could just go for it because she gave him this and like you know she doesn't you know and look I will say I love because obviously it's kind of slowed down significantly in real time it looks like it's just kind of a peck like if you were just to like speed it up I actually might try and do that like try and speed it up to like uh 25 frames per second and see what it looks like because in that sense that's kind of maybe has a bit of a different spin on it that it's just kind of this like peck and then he goes off to fight or whatever and then but they still look really shocked by it but slowed down it looks like this big passionate moment no but the thing is they they slowed it down down so it would look like a proper kiss if they had wanted it to look like a peck he could have just pecked her cheek or she could have pecked his they wanted it to look like a first proper romantic kiss between a couple that's bound to end up together that was the intention with this scene and it's much too soon in the series and for this couple to have had this romantic kiss this romantic scene in their in the way their relationship has been developing from the start i wouldn't have minded if we'd spent season one building up to this but we haven't no, we haven't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's too early in, like, also too early in how this relationship has been developed because that is not that is not the kind of kiss you have with someone you've barely spoken to and before and, this episode. And when, like, I've had Owen Shippers in the past come at me for being like, oh, but you ship uh, Lance on Gwen and you think this is rushed. And let me just explain 
like finally what i'm what i mean i don't think there's a problem when people get together quickly in stories that's not what i mean by rushed i mean this where we have no romantic undertones or romantic chemistry happening at all and then all of a sudden it switches for me and i know momo doesn't agree but i know a lot of people do see it this way as well and this is what the show wants you to feel lancelot and gwen are attracted to one another or at least have crushes on one another from the very first scene in which they meet the music is swelling they have the little violins he kisses her hand there's a bit of whatever and the rest of the episode kind of plays up to that then parting is very romantically fueled with the music as well etc and so it makes more sense regardless of whether you think they should have spent more time together the sense the logic is there for it to progress quickly and then obviously the next time they're together they're in a really high stakes uh, situation which also makes more sense this doesn't make sense they've known each other longer than Lancelot and Gwen but they haven't seen each other as potential love interests and we're expected to believe that this big kiss happens on the back of a 30 second interaction where Arthur grabs her arm and looks at her meaningfully that doesn't make any sense and I think that's where sometimes people don't understand me when I'm like no I don't mind like people getting together a little quicker or them not having much screen time because I can fill in the blanks in my head like I get not everyone is going to have equal screen time what I mind is when I'm not given anything to work with but I'm still expected to believe that these two people love each other and I just don't believe it here and I know Momo like you know she's just said that she agrees that we just haven't had enough build up for this yeah there's also there's this moment after Arthur has left the house and it's very interesting was very interesting to me to watch Gwen's face after this because I would have expected her to have like a little fond smile anything that would indicate that she is pleased that this has happened or a face that is like like the one she had right after the kiss where she looks surprised or confused by what has happened. The face that Gwen has after Arthur has turned around and left is very serious and it's very interesting to look at. Her facial expression is very serious and I'm not sure how we're supposed to interpret this but with how annoyed she's been by Arthur all this time and how she called him an arrogant and entitled child and like just you know all of these things that he takes for granted and how he behaves i inter like just watching it now and paying close attention i interpreted her look as this sort of like her inner monologue her thoughts going he fucking took another liberty that he wasn't given permission to take. Ooh, interesting. I didn't interpret it like that. Well, I interpreted I'm, it. As, I know yeah. we're not. We're probably not supposed to read it like that. I'm. I think that one other interpretation would be, oh no, he's done and done. Like he's gone and done this, and it can never be. And like her, like she resigning herself to this never being anything more than this little magical moment at the morning of the last day of the tournament or something. But yeah, in that moment with like everything, like she's been criticizing it basically nonstop this entire episode. Mm-hmm. And whether you think that she was right or wrong to do all of the criticizing that she did, like just the way she looks at the end after the surprise has worn off, she's like realizing that Arthur 
did something that he wasn't given permission to do that he took another liberty with her with her life and with her person that he wasn't allowed to take and that it's yeah so that's how i interpreted it watching it this time but it's I'm... definitely valid because obviously he's the yeah. one that initiates the kiss so i can see why yeah. i think that i think when i've seen it all the bunch of times i've watched it i interpreted it as not quite all oh, this can never be but more because i think gwen is equally as shocked as arthur even though we're supposed to believe arthur's had feelings for her all this time and gwen hasn't mentioned anything of the sort whatever i think this is we're meant to interpret this kiss as the first time she sees arthur in a different light as a potential romantic partner and i think her closing her eyes there is her like you said snapping out the moment and realizing oh i i have feelings for this person and i'm fucked because this isn't gonna like this is gonna break my heart i can i can see that and like her going this is why i hold him to such a high standard because i care about him yeah possibly i i can i suppose i can see that yeah all right, there was something else you wanted to talk about with the previous yeah. scene that we sort of skipped in favor of, like, tying this together. Yeah, so Merlin runs into uh, Gwen's house interrupting her moment with Arthur, and he tells him that Myra is back, and then they have uh, this uh, jump cut where they're talking about the fact that Myra wants Arthur killed. And Gwen is like, well, why would he want you killed? And he says, because I murdered his son. And then he d- talks about his memory of the day, and Bradley's acting, man, just like in a, like in an instant, you know, he he says, I can still see his face. He looked so scared. And we find out that he gave him an opportunity to withdraw. But the knight felt like he had to prove himself. And for the love of God, why was this not a bigger plot line in an episode about Arthur wanting to prove himself? Yeah. Yeah. It, like, <sighs> really? <laughs> And because I remember when I first saw this episode and was rewatching it for my listener, I was like, this thing with Myra the assassin is literally completely separate from anything else going on in the episode. There is no reason for it to be here. It's a completely pointless drama when we already have enough conflict with Arthur trying to overcome his privilege. And then this scene happened. And I was like, oh, OK, I remember. I get it now. Of course. This is one of the catalysts. I would argue the catalyst for Arthur actually changing his mind at the end, not necessarily Gwen's words I would argue but his memory of this boy that he murdered because he was trying to be the bigger man you know and beat him and it's like that's really important and I feel like it's just the episode glosses over it it's you know like we have it hadn't even occurred to me sorry it hadn't even occurred to me to tie these two things together like Arthur's words at the end and this scene until you just said it that's how glossed over it is in the episode. Exactly. And like cut the Arwen kiss, cut the bullshit date, and you can actually maybe have like a really awesome flashback to that scene. Maybe like anything else to do with um Odin and that whole subplot because that's what we started the episode with. It should be important. And I just feel like that was what I was mentioning at the beginning where I was like, there are things we could have removed, like the kiss that didn't need to be there and could have been saved for a later episode. And we could have like like imagine okay because this would have actually led nicely from that scene now it gets really sinister really dark where they're talking about this death and then the following scene could be between either arthur or gwen like like you can keep it with arthur and gwen let them have this developing relationship where she talks to him more about this boy and maybe they had some kind of relationship or some friendship and you know that's where they can connect but instead of the kiss because again the kiss 
feels like it's the kiss feels like it's missing about five or six scenes in between that scene and the following one and like instead you could have had a really poignant scene either with the three of them or just with Gwen about his feelings and the grief that he felt after he killed this boy and then that fuels him into the in into the final tournament and instead the only thing i don't understand is why it had to be a fight to the death because the way it is framed in excalibur when the black knight challenges them to duels it like it feels to me that this is framed as something outrageous that it's actually a duel to the death rather than just duel until someone of the one of them wins and overpowers the other or the other surrenders you know and so i un- i don't understand why the son of king odin who bless his poor soul never gets a name why that had to be a fight to the death and how long ago has this been was arthur himself just a boy were they just two ridiculous children who were play fighting and then one of them accidentally died or give me more information about this that's what i'm saying i just i know i know um So this leads us nicely into the final round of the tournament. And there's just a lot of the same stuff happening again. But obviously this time Myra uh, kills one of the knights and takes his place and shows us that he has uh, a nifty little like uh, uh, a spike or a spear to to kill Arthur with. And he manages to wound him. Although what I will say is what really makes me laugh in this moment. And again, this is just Merlin because of the because of the family friendly thing. But Gwen's like, like, yes, putting the like things. You're losing too much blood. I'm like, there's no blood. (laughs) There's no blood. I mean, you see, and yeah, I, I paid, I paid attention. In following scenes, you have like there, it does look like the armor is pierced, and there's some fake blood dribbling down from yeah. it. But not in the scene when Arthur first gets tiny punctured. There is, there is, there is nothing there. There is absolutely nothing, nothing there. It's like it looks worse the day after when he comes back and has like this half-assed bandage around the neck holding his holding it to his chest with with a hand and it's all bloody and i'm just like why <laughs> why does this look so terrible oh my god it's so stupid it's just <laughs> it's so bad there is one thing that i noticed not about the blood uh there's one thing that i noticed is um when myro rides past and the lance is like the knife is retreating back into the lance are we supposed to think that Merlin used some slow-mo vision magic to see the blade disappear into the lance because the way he like it is shot in slow motion and the way Merlin watches the lance tip and we have this close up of the of the lance tip protruding back into the into the lance is it just the way he looks at it is very much the way he looks when he's doing magic like very intently watching and like the head slightly move forward yeah you know what i mean how he looks when he does magic yeah i never thought about it i never did either I don't think we're supposed to, but I guess you can interpret it like that if you want. But I think usually they show us when he's slowing things down because we have that like a uh, Merlin vision camera. Yeah, there is no, there is no like magic sound effect and also no, no gold in the eyes. But like just after, after words, like the way he he moves his head is very like the way he does when he does magic. Yeah. And then I figured maybe it was supposed to be that that he used magic like the original intent was for it to be that way but then they decided not to add all the effects in in post-production perhaps yeah absolutely that because the way it is shot and the way it is cut 
it very much suggests that it could have been like magic happening yeah. in that moment. It could, yeah, maybe it was, but um, but either way, Merlin, Merlin figures out what's going on. Uh, one thing I did want to say about about the tent scene when we said there's like literally no blood on the on the chainmail is this is one of my this is my favorite scene in the episode I think because Arthur is like really looking bad and you know he says I have to get out there or I'll forfeit the tournament just do whatever you can and Gwen whatever she's like you have nothing to prove least of all to me which I'm just like okay fine it's not about you Gwen it's not about you yeah but then he but then he comes back with I have everything to prove to myself. And I'm just like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, you go, babe. I'm so happy when he says it because it's just like, yeah. this is where we, this is the, where we've led to. This is what we've been waiting for the entire episode. And he finally, finally, like, finds his feet. And I'm so happy for him in that moment. Obviously, then we get the true fulfillment of the arc when he lets William go out at the end after he's won but this moment for me was like okay this has made all the bullshit worth it was just to hear him say I have everything to prove to myself again yeah and again when William goes out there's not a hair out of place there's no puncture wounds on his arm or no no blood whatsoever how does no one realize you know my I I think there's probably conspiracy theory that all of Camelot knows it was Arthur the entire time and they just went along with it to humor him. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is, yeah. Uh, the music in this scene is the same as we've had before, but it feels like it's like swelling even more. And I love, actually, this is one of my favorite uses of magic that they've ever done in Merlin because we have the, the choir and the like, and the music is getting faster and faster and faster. And then it goes quiet and Merlin says the spell and then the strap breaks on Myra's horse and I'm just like, that is sick. <laughs> that is so <laughs> good. I love it. And I literally could rewatch that over and over again. It's amazing. Um, so does Myra die in, in, yeah. in that moment? Because it's very unclear because he does kind of look like he's moving on I, the ground. He kind of slumps down a bit more. I think I think it was like probably he broke his neck and then this was like the last spasm of his nervous right. system giving out. Probably because the way he fell, it was very neck breaky, like so. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and but no one seems that phased by it. They're just like, Meh. Arthur. <laughs> Arthur rides off, and Merlin runs to his husband and helps him down. I'm just like, ugh. There wasn't enough Arthur in this episode. <laughs> I was just like, every time they were in the same room together, I was like, ugh. Um, and then that's the end of the tournament, and Arthur is one, and he gives uh William the the shield, uh the the helmet, and he says. Perhaps now is a moment for humility, and Gwen gives him an approving look because apparently he needs her approval now to do anything. And if that doesn't give you an indication as to what their relationship is going to be like for five seasons, there you go. <laughs> so there we go. That's uh, that's how that ends. And uh, Mummy, do you have anything else to say about any of the jousting stuff in that in that scene? Nope. Nope. Uh, nope. So the one where Guys finds out is where he takes off Myra's helmet. And right. he's like, where's Sir Eleanor? And Merlin makes a face as if the face he's made a thousand times. Guys knows it now. He's raised this boy for the last year. That's like, mm, I haven't told you the whole story. And Gaius gives him the faces to look like, we're going to have a discussion about this later. <laughs> and we don't see anything else. And it's so funny. Um, and then the scene we have after that is the one with even more lies, where Arthur comes back and addresses his father in the council chambers. And... <laughs> 
Arthur gives him this bullshit story about how he fought off Myror in the in the woods and killed him, uh, even though did no one find Myror's body after the tournament apart from Gaius? Okay, I guess that's a thing. But Uther is so aggro. Like, Arthur says that, my, that like, Odin kill, uh, sent this assassin because he killed his son, and Uther's like, then we must strike back. We must wage war upon Odin. And then, and then, author of all people is the voice of reason. Is like maybe we should not shed any more blood. Maybe it's time for peace. And then Uther is like, yes, quite right. You're quite right. What I love about this again, this is just my Uther meta because he is a precious baby. But Arthur, it's what uh, what softens him is Arthur saying, um, "Surely you must understand the grief he feels for losing his son." And Uther's like, because he nearly lost his son, like in season one and then wrote more recently a big you know thing happened with the curse of Cornelius Segan where he could have lost his son and that's why he kind of sits back in his chair and then Arthur carries on saying maybe there's been enough bloodshed and once again we are seeing the seeds being sown for the great king that Arthur is going to become and if that doesn't make you happy and a giant fangirl I don't know what does because that I mean that it does make me happy. What doesn't make me happy is that after every sentence, after every sentence, Arthur says he looks to Gwen for her approval, and we have continuous reaction shots of Gwen smiling and nodding approvingly, like benevolently, and being like, "Yes, Arthur, you are doing well. Good boy, good boy." And I'm just, I'm, I'm very sorry to the Arwen shippers, honestly, but this is just such bullshit. You need this to is- stop. You stop. That is such. Bullshit, honestly. This is what Gwen is going to be reduced to now for the rest of the show. Until maybe, like, maybe until she becomes queen, but then her screen time is... Yeah, that's that's the thing that bothers me, that Gwen is being reduced to uh, giving author approval. And uh, yeah, mom Gwen, she's mom Gwen. She is teaching author basic human decency and keeps, you know, being his approval machine. Exactly. Although I will say there is a cute reaction shot from Merlin as well, where he's like, "Yes, I approve you," but then it cuts straight, to... <laughs> cuts straight to Gaius just glaring at Merlin <laughs> because I think they've probably already had a chat, or if they haven't had a chat, Gaius is giving him the silent treatment, and he sees Merlin smiling. He's like, "I wouldn't be smiling if I were you. You're in for a world of pain." You don't know what's coming. <laughs> and he's just like so unhappy, which is brilliant. And then it leads to um, the penultimate uh, scene uh, of the episode. We have uh, the Arthur and Gwen scene. And as if this episode didn't piss me off enough, here we go, guys. Get ready to feel my wrath because uh, Arthur calls Gwen over. He says, what happened while I was staying with you? I'm afraid my father would never understand. Which is a very weird way of phrasing it in general. And then Gwen replies with, you don't have to explain. Maybe someday when you are king, things will be different. After one kiss. One kiss. Yeah. After one kiss, she expects to marry To marry him. And, I mean, I... It's very rare that I'm lost for words, honestly, but this does it every time I hear it. It's so dumb. (laughs) It's so dumb. If we had even had a fraction of build-up, like we keep saying, this might have been earned. Oh, I'm so mad about this. And Arthur's just like, but Arthur just accepts it as if, like, 
he's cool with her suggesting that they should get married after just sharing one kiss. And I'm just a bit, I mean, unless that like she's saying maybe things will be different in the sense that we can hang out. I don't know if that's what she's suggesting. I think we're supposed to. I don't know. Maybe it's also in the sense that when you're king, it won't be such a taboo for literally anyone, not necessarily Mm. us. That's how I choose to interpret it. Because otherwise, I'm just going to run myself into a wall over and over again. And also, the fact that he says, what happened while I was staying with you, my father would never understand. Uther literally says to him in Queen of Hearts, I understand the temptations of serving girls. So he would very much understand. So don't bring Uther into your bullshittery. (laughs) (laughs) Uther doesn't deserve to be dragged into this. And then they walk off in separate directions, forever to be kept apart by destiny. <laughs> uh, so much angst. Not. <laughs> this is dumb. This is the like. I think this is in terms of like. This isn't the uh, the Arwen episode that makes me most angry because I think in terms of character assassination, that's Queen of Hearts. But it's the Arwen episode that to me makes the least sense and gets me the most frustrated because this is what's meant to be the base. Like, this is what you're supposed to build everything on. It's the big foundation of this ship. And because it's so rocky to begin with, for me, that was where it just kind of, like, already was shaky anyway. And then I was like, it, 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 it's not going to get better, is it? It didn't. <laughs> so I was just like, okay. But, uh, yeah, there we go. Lovely shot to end on. And then we have the scene with the leeches. I have nothing to say about that, unless you do. Uh, no, I already said what I wanted to say about it earlier on. So There you go. That was... The Once and Future Queen. Uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed our analysis of it. <laughs> I th- we got quite aggro there, but that's fine. I mean, this is Melissa, and what do you guys expect? <laughs> you know yeah. by now. Um, so if you guys would like to comment your opinions on our opinions on this episode, Opinionception, please do so. We've already told you where you can find us. I am Miss Snowfox, and you can find me as Miss Snowfox pretty much everywhere. Sometimes I have an extra X, sometimes I don't. That'll be for you to find out. And I'm also on YouTube under Magical Unicorn 22. Sorry, I just love to see like what reactions I can get out of Momo. <laughs> and hearing her like stifle her laughter is hilarious. Momo, where can they find you? Well, I'm Momotastic also almost everywhere and if i'm not momotastic then i'm momotastic 27 or sometimes i'm even just momo and there's also the thing where on ao3 i am momo pods because i pod fake our theme music was composed by sidesteppings for melissa exclusively our news music comes from manzardian on freesound.org and the manip for our cover was made by brolin's keep and the cover was made by me And next time, we are going to talk about another fanfic genre, which is modern AQs. Finally, we are at a point where I have many, many things to say, which is basically my favorite genre in Merlin fake of all times. And we will have at least one guest for that. Maybe someone else will volunteer to join us as well, but there's definitely going to be one guest. And we are very much looking forward to this episode, aren't we, Rox? Very much. I have a lot of reading to do over Easter. Because <laughs> no, I've read a lot of like fic, but a lot of it I've already wrecked. And I will re-wreck it just for those people that only will listen to our fic-related episodes. But I would like to wreck stuff I haven't yet wrecked, and I don't think there's much that I haven't. So I'm going to have to do some reading. But hey, the holidays are coming up, so it'll be the perfect time to read some modern AU. <laughs> exactly. 
And with that, I think we are at the end. Thank you for tuning in once more to hear us ramble about this show that we so enjoy, even when we have a lot of anger about it. I have been Momotastic. And I miss my folks. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.